what the, what they don't tell you is that cops guns are free you can just take them home <laughs> with you <laughs> i've got 458 cops guns. <laughs> you're listening to the art and war podcast with your host mitch and nathan Mitch is a former Airborne Infantry squad leader who now spends most of his time coaching soccer. Nathan is a professional illustrator and an avid shooter with a couple of years of Canadian military experience. Together, they run the Seaburn Art page. Enjoy the show. So returning to us this week, we have the handsome man himself, Prince Shoot Repeat, and uh, Ivan the Troll. As usual, we don't really have an introduction. We've just kind of been shooting into this shit for the last hour about, well, guns. Um... I'm burnt out as hell, but we're going to record it again anyway. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. God, guys, I am so sorry. My, my brain is a fuck, as it, as it usually is. Mitch is back, but uh, he's both on vacation and says he, has, he doesn't even know what 3D printing is. Like, he, he tries. I tried to explain it to him, but... I might have to call out Mitch for, uh, for avoiding uh, me and Ivan as guests and, and avoiding 3D printing because, you know, I've listened to the show. And he hasn't showed up yet, so Mitch, I'm calling <laughs> Mitch, you out, bro. Mitch, you piece true. of shit. <laughs> fuck, fuck you. <laughs> no, I won't go that far. I will. Mitch, <laughs> you're a baby. Buy a 3D printer. Yes. So today we have, again, Print Shoot Repeat, our boy, and Ivan, who um, I'm personally a big fan of, and probably one of the progenitors of modern 3D printing firearms culture and you know a lot of the designs that you see around. I believe it was you and uh, FMDA who kind of uh, put forward the Glock design, which kind of started everything for a lot of people. Yeah, I think I think that you looking back, that was sort of sort of a watershed moment because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of things and minds and preconceived notions were changed as a result of that. And and at the time, it really didn't seem like that because knew that that was my first Glock. I'd fired Glocks prior to that, but wasn't a big enough a fan of them that I'd ever imagined wanting to own one. And then sort of like stumbled backwards into building one and then, you know, accidentally ended up with something that worked pretty well and n- not not of any intentional uh, motive of my own sort of uh, set, set into motion a lot of things that caused a lot of cool stuff to happen, mostly as a result of like shit posts on Twitter and Reddit about silly 3D printed Glocks. Oh, dude, I don't even have Twitter, but I've seen some of your... Like replying to people going, oh, a 3D printing gun will just blow up in your hand. And you just respond with a, a video of you mag dumping. That shit gives me life. I don't even have a Twitter. I will go on to Twitter just to see you reply to people. That's why that was... I got Twitter, by the way. <laughs> just for that I mean, sole reason. So me too. That's that's the whole reason I made a Twitter is because in, in 2018, there was like the sort of another big explosion of everybody talking about 3D printed guns because it was in the news again for like two or three weeks. But everybody was doing this whole, oh, but 3D printed guns don't work and they're worthless and they'll blow up. And it was coming from both the anti-gun side and the pro-gun side. Like the pro-gun side was like, this isn't even an issue because they blow up. And the anti-gun side was like, well, they blow up. So why would you even want to have one? So it's just like this all out assault on 3D printed guns for no good reason. And so I I made a Twitter because at that time I had like a couple printed AR lowers and I wanted to like show off like, hey, maybe this, maybe these don't blow up. And I I'd posted some stuff on, on Reddit prior to that. So I'd already had a couple of videos filmed, but people on Twitter seemed to love that because it was like, you know, a lot of people who were pro gun and interested in building guns and that sort of thing, who also thought that maybe 3D printed guns blow up, but weren't stupid enough to admit that sort of saw like, oh, wait, maybe the, maybe this actually works. Maybe this is pretty cool. And 
that was sort of extremely interesting is, is result of that. So like I, I joined Twitter just to like shit post and, and make people feel bad and, and be like the smartest. <laughs> I had to be the smartest guy in the conversation. Like, well, no, actually it worked really well. That is incredible. And it worked. I mean, it got a lot of people involved with it. I think it changed a lot of people's perceptions. And I think, well, I sure. think so. Yeah. I was going to say just everyone should follow Ivan on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yes. if, you're, if you're watching this, I'm going to plug Ivan's Twitter. Yes. Uh, uh, at Navi Go Boom, N-A-V-I-G-O-B-O-O-M, and uh, Navi of Boomhandia. And uh, Boomhandia, can you explain <laughs> yeah, what that, that is? That's another I good one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, as well as these, like, well, 3D printed guns don't work and they're just single shot and maybe they'd blow up. There was this, I think it was Newsmax first ran the story, but USA Today and New York Times and a bunch of articles ended up running the same opinion piece where, like, a, 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 a gun control advocate journalist asked a 3D printing expert and his accolades in 3D printing was like he taught a college course on 3D printing, had never tried printing a gun, had never printed functional things, just had printed some like doodads before or whatever, like like his his garden gnomes and baby Yodas and, and his <laughs> Funko Pops yeah. sort of thing. So uh, he, he'd never really done anything useful with a 3D printer, but he's a 3D printing expert. And yes. this anti-gun journalist asks him, Oh, are 3D printed guns a real thing? Should people be scared about them? And he drops this this like now infamous line about how, oh, 3D printed guns are more dangerous to the shooter than to the target. You, you have to be you have to be you have to be stupid to ever think about using one of these guns. It's it's a hand grenade just waiting to blow off your hands or whatever. And so a bunch of people latched onto that because you know I'm sure it had you know, aggregated millions of views across all of the different outlets that ended up sharing this 3D printing experts story but uh like even to this day one of the more popular ones you run into on twitter is people who are like adamant that oh go ahead and let these crazy pro-gun people 3d print guns it'll just blow their hands clean off and so there's been there's been lots of instances where uh you know people are like okay you can't put five rounds through it without it blowing off and so then i've got like a a, a dump a drum mag through an ak or whatever and it's like huh my hands are blown off. I'm bleeding. I had to type this with my nose. Somebody send help. You know, the, 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 gun, the gun chugs through 75 rounds flawlessly. And of course, everything goes well. But then you know, they, they end up getting mad and move the goalposts to, uh, oh, oh, no, but that doesn't count because this, that, or the other thing. You know, all, all the while realizing like the thing that they said was going to happen didn't happen because I still have my hands despite it all. But it's got metal in it. It's got a metal barrel. Right. There's, there's metal parts in it. So you didn't make a gun because there's metal parts. Metal's <laughs> impossible to make. That is... Oh. Oh. It's just incredible. And, it, and it's like, it, it's a battle of how many removes it takes It takes for somebody to get to. Oh, you didn't, you didn't like smash the atoms together in, in a super dense star to make the iron atoms and you didn't mine those iron atoms yourself. You didn't forge that metal yourself. You, you, you didn't forge that billet yourself in your own home. You didn't 3D print the gun retard. Like, okay, come on. Really? You didn't run a fusion reactor to make those iron atoms, bud. And that's, that's why you should follow Ivan on Twitter. Yes, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But Christ, you, you'd figure that you can't just go to Home Depot and pick up like bar stock or... Right. It, yeah, or just like buy hydraulic tubing off AliExpress or anything else. <laughs> People do not realize how mechanically simple and functionally simple most guns are. 
Right. At, at its very core, uh, guns were figured out a long time ago, like 1100 AD or whatever, because they are very, very simple. You know, at their simplest, they're very, very simple. Yeah. I, I think it's in Japan. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Fucking rip. I, I saw the spicy. No, no, BR. No, we're not. We're not going to get to repeat the spicy <laughs> meme. <laughs> Fuck it. BR, take this out. Um, I, I saw this meme the other day that just said, um, just like America, 400 million guns in circulation, zero dead politicians. Japan, <laughs> zero gun, like guns in circulation. Not true, but whatever. Uh, what? Uh, one homemade boy, one dead politician. America, and I, I fucking that. died. I saw that too. Yeah, that's pretty good. But um, yeah, no, the the guy in Japan. What did he use? Um, it was like an electrically primed double barrel that used. Uh, that's like an old four like, chan. Like like four chan likes to make instructional things on like guns that probably don't actually work. Yeah, and that that was one of those that I remember seeing like ages ago, like maybe twenty fifteen. So it's, it's been around for a while, but you, you, you take two pipes and then put in caps on them and drill holes for a little, you know, an electronic wick or an electronic starter to go in. And then that's your, ele- your electronic priming. And from there, you muzzle load it and then you tape, tape a switch to it. And it, you use a little nine volt to touch off. And you can be SD's starter motors or just nichrome wire that gets hot and then wow. light off some black powder. And then again, had it simplest, man, that's really, really simple. Yeah, it's really fucking simple. Wow, there was inter- it was interesting that there was already people as when it happened like within a couple of hours like peddling false information about it being three D printed. Yeah, but it, yeah. and I think I think part of that is I, for, I forget what it's called, but it's like one of the razors or whatever. I, I guess at one point in time I was familiar with a really good example of it that helps explain it. But like in you know, like the published conscious of of three D printed guns we saw like in twenty eighteen was well they all blow up, and so due to how fast it's been advancing people now like whenever people think of homemade gun they just automatically assume it's 3d printed because they've seen so many 3d printed guns and it's come such a long way and people so many people have had their minds changed in such a drastic manner that they get to the point where they're like they see a gun that maybe looks like it's craft produced and just automatically assume 3d printed like all guns that even look slightly homemade or customized it, it has to be 3d printing because you know, the, so many minds have been changed so quickly about it that they like over forecast the capabilities or the the prevalence of three D printed guns to the point where like everything has to be. And you, you've even seen politicians and cops do it, where like they recover P eighties, and you know, yeah. of course, being like an eighty percent Glock frame or whatever, where nothing about it was three D printed, but they recover these things and say it's a three D printed ghost gun. Where that's, I mean, is it a ghost gun? Okay, yeah, sure, maybe, but it's not three D printed by any stretch of the imagination but they just sort of like apply the 3d printed banner to anything that's homemade or even possibly homemade just because they're so, you know, they're now so long on the technology that they're you know outpacing the prevalence or rely or you know, the prevalence or usefulness of where it's currently at. Mm. I've got a question for, for both of you, just what do you think um, about if it was actually a 3d printed gun, what that would mean for just, the culture and just you know ideas and people's opinions around 3d printed guns it, like hypothetically if it was used what do you guys think i'm, I'm of so i guess it is your question if the gun that he used had 3d printed parts or like if he had taken like a songbird or something and capped him with it 
Well, I guess in this situation, it seemed like the ammunition was his biggest hurdle, right? Right. Like, and so he probably used fireworks grade gunpowder behind you know, ball bearings or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's say theoretically he had access to nine millimeter or something. Well, it seems like that would have been less effective in this situation, actually. Maybe. I don't know, actually. Who knows? Let's say let's say he did make an FGC nine or something. Right. Like what what do you think uh the world stages reaction to there that? There would there would be like global pants shitting if it was an FGC nine, because Europe's already like the, the European police had like a whole symposium on on the FGC nine essentially. Like they, they they were trying to just talk about arms trafficking in general, but like the posters and banners and media that they had about the thing just all showed pictures of FGC nines. And it's because the you know the, the Dutch police have caught a bunch of these, and there's been like three D printing labs, and some of which made the news, some of which didn't. Like like mm-hmm. entire factories, you know, like the underground gun factories in Europe that you hear about have just switched over to three D printing FGC nines because it's cheap and easy. And I guess the, you know, it, it, now the guns almost got some sort of social stigma attached to it. And so it's you know, as far as like street gangs and sort of things, you know, over in Europe, it's like having a it's like having a gold plated Mac or Draco here in the U.S. Like you want that because it's a status symbol. Like that's the FGC nine. That's crazy. So, yeah. so you know, there's groups in Europe who are charging like two, three thousand U.S. dollars to to buy a black market FGC nine, and so you you know some of the European countries are taking it seriously, but some of them are just like we're aware this is happening, but it's not really that big of a deal because you know they're aware of the fact that there's there's so many black market guns there anyway that mm-hmm. okay, what's a couple 3D printed ones? Even if it's a hundred 3D printed ones, it's not that big of a deal to them, but. If yeah. you saw, you know, an ex-leader of a country, some somebody who's on the order of like an ex-president of a country get killed by one in a country that had, you know, str- generally speaking, stricter than most of Europe's gun control, I think a bunch of people would freak out about that. And that you know yeah. these European police agencies who are like, eh, we're we're monitoring, but unless the in, you know, we're monitoring, but in, in, unless we're unless we're aware of some imminent threat, it's not something that we're going to take a bunch of action on. I think they'd start taking a bunch of action out of an abundance of caution. Yeah. Mm. And in fact, per, you know, perhaps, perhaps are going to take that caution anyway, just given the fact that it was an improvised gun that was used in an attack. Cause you know, generally speaking, when you have political figures speak in the U S the secret services, you know, they're there weeks in advance and they're planning things out and they're checking sight lines from rooftops of buildings and making sure they've got helicopters and drones and like, you know, they, they, they take no chances because they know somebody could you know set up with a sniper rifle a quarter of a mile away and land a decent shot. But yeah. in Japan, they're like, this isn't a possibility. Like the dude had guards there. Sure. But like they were just like sort of you know, they were sort of milling around while the guy just walked up behind him. So the, like, the fact that he got sh- shot, he didn't get hit on the first shot. And then the second one. Yeah, was the and one the guards happened. are still just like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're not, not was... going to like do anything. And so I think it's just because like the security culture in the U.S. is so high because they know that this is a possibility where I think probably in most of Europe and certainly we saw in Japan, I don't think they have as strict a security culture because they're not so, you know, why prepare for something that's so unlikely to happen? Not that I think it's much, I don't think it's much more likely here in the U.S., but perhaps it would be easier for a determined individual to pull off here in the U.S. So they, they, they take put you know, put that much more caution and thought into it. Yeah, that makes sense. absolutely. And not not only that, he he was the former prime minister as well. He wasn't uh, like he he still had a security detail. But I've I've heard actually um, the Japanese uh, security details and their secret service they carry 
what what's that revolver? It's it's made by the I think it's made by Nambu. And the revolvers? first two shots are sorry? They carry revolvers, fam? They yeah. carry revolvers. The first shot is empty chamber, the second shot is a blank. What? <laughs> Not quite sure how true that is. I know it's true of their police, but I believe what? there are five shooters, so that gives them three rounds. That is absurd. Yeah. Um, so they're they're really really not expecting armed I threats. Think, I mean, this is just a guess, but my guess would be uh, Japan is that way because they know there's so few guns in the country already. They realize that the cops would just be a source of guns. So you know, if the cops had Glocks or ARs or real you know real quote unquote guns, that they just become a target for crime to steal. Because yeah. you know, th- that happens in the U.S. constantly, and it, it ha- it's even happened in Canada before. Like a cop leaves his his cruiser unlocked and has an AR in there, and he comes back and he doesn't have an AR in there. Oh, his, that happens a ton. His patrol rifle just got up and walked away. They don't like to talk about it. What the, what they don't tell you is that cops' guns are free. You can just take them <laughs> home with you. <laughs> I've got four hundred and fifty eight cop guns. <laughs> Oh, that's a good well well uh transitioned there and, and i think i think at least some of that was spurred on by you know, the, there's the lock picking lawyer or whatever on youtube yeah he yeah sh- i he love showed, him. he showed how like the majority of the gun locks for for like you know the shotguns or or the patrol carbines and police cars you all you need is just like a fridge magnet to unlock them <laughs> so you just stick a fridge you stick a fridge magnet on the on this gun lock like if the car is unlocked you open the door to the car you stick a fridge magnet magnet on the on the gun rack and then it's yours so you just walk right away with your new gun for the cost of one <laughs> fridge magnet and i guess i guess afterwards you could take the fridge magnet with you so yeah you, so it's just free it's just free they don't want you to know it's free <laughs> oh man. Yeah, some I, of your tax dollars back i i have to imagine that video has has you know emboldened multiple people to like if you're on the edge about but maybe that lock is hard to defeat and then you go on youtube and it's like no it's not no just keep a fridge maggot in your pocket um oh shit that that is really funny actually um it looks like you're you want to say something again you're quivering at the edge of your seat oh no no i'm just i'm just laughing and i'm scratching my back it's funny. oh yeah okay that that that, <laughs> that explains the literal uh, anyways uh my response to your question uh going back about what i think it i think not not to repeat what uh ivan said which i agree with is it has suddenly has a lot of people realizing how easy it is to do things like this in countries that previously uh firearms have well still firearms are very restricted i saw a uh, picture of a not ira gentleman but what's one of the various you know northern irish paramilitary groups with an fgc9 just the other day and you're seeing them more and more in myanmar and everywhere else i do think that you're you're right you know if if the p80s getting confiscated were 3d printed and um like Shinzo Abe was was uh, killed with a 3D printed gun, we would see a little more of a panic response. But realistically, what can you really do to stop any of this? Because at the end of the day, like I'm trying to think of, because all, all restrictions um, on, on this would be bullshit, but I'm trying to think of ways that would make it harder, especially in the States, there's really nothing you can do. In Europe and everywhere else, like what, what the hell can you do? It, it's to, to pass a college engineering course, you need to have use a 3d printer you can't restrict the sale of them people forget how mechanically simple and easy to get they are as well like i i built a laser cutter which is effectively the uh, right. yeah it uses the same thing like 
except it's got two axes as opposed to three out of a hundred dollars of parts that I just bought. And it was not hard. Anyone could do it, honestly. And Mm -hmm. the thing about technology is technology knows no politics. Once something exists, it simply exists for better and for worse. It's not necessarily going to be used for bad things or good things. It simply exists. And 3D printing is a prime example of that. Unfortunately, the powers that be will try, especially, you know, if it's, oh, scary, you know, we can finally be touched. Um, They can try and restrict it, but I don't think reasonably there's anything that they could do. No, I don't think so either. I think it's pretty much cats out of the bag. And while some countries, I don't know if they would consider it, but they maybe they would consider trying to ban 3D printers or something, but it's just not possible. I I just don't think you can do that. I mean, it's like banning a a saw or something, you know? Yeah, they're really simple machines and they're they are a lot cheaper than people think they are. Um, Hell, I'm, I'm selling my old craft bot that I bought years ago for I think 300 bucks and I, I bought it years ago for two grand when uh, basically all 3d printers were very expensive not not all of them but you know you you didn't have your ender threes you didn't have your your uh god i'm trying to like creality cr10s all of that stuff it was basically just maker bots ultimaker whatever and i can see then you know there was a barrier of entry with the the cost like Chinese companies still existed, but you know, you basically got what you paid for with them. Now it's accessible. Anyone can go on Amazon right now. Anyone can go on Amazon right now, <laughs> take out your phones and buy an Ender 3 for, you know, 200 bucks or less. Like the technology's out there. The cat's out of the bag and it's, you know, cheap enough for anyone to really get into. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a very, very cheap hobby. People need to know this. Okay. Anyone who's listening, 3D printers at like the, the you can get them on sale like the micro center had a sale hundred dollars for a 3d printer if you're if it's your first purchase there hundred dollars for an ender three get an ender three they're like 160 bucks the baseline ones you get to learn how to put it together how it works and if you want to get a little bit nicer one get an ender three v2 but really like everyone asks me that all the time and i'm sure they ask you that too ivan is like oh i want a good 3d printer what should i get what should i get like and i'm like you should get the 200 $60 Ender 3 V2 and they're like no but like I want to get a nice one and I'm just like get the $260 uh, Ender 3 V2 and obviously there are nicer printers out there but honestly I've been testing and trying a bunch of similar comparable 3D printers that are like all under a thousand bucks but some of them are like five six hundred bucks and I still go back to my Ender 3 V2 yeah and and, and it yep. makes great prints if it works it works especially if you're printing like PLA PLA plus like yeah. that's it is all you need. I, I will, you know, shout out to jo- Joseph Prusa and uh, the Prusas are really, really nice. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would recommend that as like, hey, you have budget, you know, you're sticking with this. Uh, right now, I run an Ultimaker 2 extended it, and it's it's great. It's that that is absolutely worth the price, but there is a price that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you can always get the, the Gucci stuff. And like, it seems like there's some new like Kickstarter ones. I know that uh, 3D Print General has one that he was you know, checking out a video on that seemed like, you know, nice new technology, fast and closed printer and stuff. But really, if you're just getting started, just go with the the bare bones, which you need. All of the gun designs are meant for PLA for the most part up until yeah. this point. And then there's more experimenting going on. I mean, Ivan can talk about that, but, you know, but for the average person, I mean, it's still the goal is to make it as easy as possible for people to print them. So um, that's where the Ender 3 and Ender 3 V2 come in. 
cheap, easy, and really just uh, a joy to to print with. Yeah. That's one thing that I've noticed with the 3D printing guns community is, you know, you'd imagine just thinking about it. It's like, oh, oh, these dangerous people, you know, they've got the balaclavas and they they're menaces to society. These, you know, you know, I, I think of everyone I know who who does it or, or is involved or isn't part of the community. It's just like the most regular people, <laughs> just like the, the, the people you would not think of twice if you pass them in the street. Well, that's what they say about serial killers, too. You know, <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, though. Yeah, no, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of great. It's uh, just like, hey, what what did you do this weekend? Oh, I made a ta- attack nine or a attack daddy, a thirty seven yeah. millimeter flare launcher, <laughs> whatever. I love that shit. Yeah, no, it's a bunch of people that are just into building stuff and have yeah, and, and into firearms, and it's like a fun. It's a fun thing to do and to experiment with, and you learn yeah. a lot about and you know how how things work and and also problem solving and patience. Yeah. Exactly, it, it's a fun technical hobby. Ivan, I'm curious, what was the very first 3D printed gun that you printed? I'm I'm just. Uh, it was curious. an AR-15 lower, one of the ones from I think it was the Foscad 5.1 GS, which wow. was a. AR-15 lower that was essentially the old defense distributed version 5 printable lower, but they split the buffer tower off on a separate print so you could print it at a different orientation Then it used three screws to screw into the main body of the lower. Oh, I remember those. And when those broke, the like the three screws were meant to, uh, so you could replace the tower. Right. A... And I, I printed, printed that in ABS and... It was an interesting experience. It probably took me like six prints to get an ABS print that didn't warp super bad, just because that's the nature of ABS. But like yeah. at, at that time, the sort of the knowledge base that you know, the, the knowledge base is, of course, something that I don't talk about enough. But it's so it's so valuable to the home builder now, where there's just troves of good information and documentation and best practices about printing guns that you you, you can get at the drop of the hat. That ended up taking the community two, three, four years to really develop. But like at that time, the public conscience was you better print an ABS because you could never print a working gun in PLA. And I was just reading like Reddit threads from 2015, and I was like, okay, I, I guess I guess we'll do a, I guess we'll do ABS then. And you're not realizing, yeah. of course, you, you can print these in PLA and it'll work fine. But everybody was saying it would never work, and so you know, the the public the public knowledge well, as it were, was poisoned from these people saying oh, it has to be ABS or it'll never work. When in reality. Uh, like a, a warpy ABS print that's got a bunch of internal stresses is generally going to be weaker than even like crappy cheap PLA print. It's going to be something that'll perform better. Yeah. Hmm. What, it's it's what interesting was seeing. That? Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, what era was that? Uh, like, what year was that come did that come out? Uh, I, I think that lower was released in 2014 or 2015, but I printed it. I think it was either late 2016 or early 2017. I think. Because it was around wow. that, it wasn't long after I got my printer, though I did not get the printer for guns. It became one of those things where, like, if you're a gun person and you have a printer, you're going to print a part for your guns. It's it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, dude, uh, I, I just printed, yeah, I showed you earlier, that clone of the GBRS stupid little Hydra mount thing. Same. And, yeah, it, it's it's fun. I, I just print, like, I, I, know, I know a lot of people with 3D printers just... You know, people who don't know I do any of this, and all they print is stupid bullshit Funko Pop. You know, <laughs> the, like the, the, 
Marvel, like, oh, cool, here's some cat ears. Um, no, like, you can print some really functional... People do not realize how strong... Even some of the PLA prints that you can get. I've been running a, a printed hand stop for years. It's wonderful. This week's episode is brought to you by FieldSeats.com. FieldSeats.com is an e-commerce federally licensed firearms dealer. They provide virtual reviews on brand new firearms, and at the end of the review, they give away the firearm being reviewed for free. Each item reviewed is given away for free as part of their promotion for purchasing what they call a field review. Now, what is a field review? Well, a couple old crayon eaters go out, they take the firearm being reviewed, they go review it, and then they do a whole write-up, they let you know their thoughts, and then you can purchase that review and potentially win that firearm. They try and limit the amount of spots people can purchase, that way you have a better chance of actually winning the firearm. I think the max that they do is about 35. So, you know, 1 in 35, not terrible chances, especially considering some of the reviews are only like 25 bucks. So you throw 25 bucks, you get to read about a firearm maybe you're considering buying anyway, and then... Who knows? Maybe you just win it. So feel free to check them out, fieldseats.com, and use code ARTWAR to save yourself 10% on your order with them. That is fieldseats.com, and use code ARTWAR to save yourself 10%. This episode is brought to you by Advanced Warfighting Solutions. Advanced Warfighting Solutions, they have quite literally everything that you need to be a lethal, super cool Instagram operator and also just a super cool actual operator or just a super cool civilian or just whatever the fuck you want. They have battle belts, plate carriers, assault packs, pretty much anything nylon. They got it. So be sure to check them out. Use code ARTMORE10 on an SMU war belt and you'll save some money. We don't get any kickback. You just save money. Huge thank you to them for supporting the show. Thank you very much. Seeing how far, because I, I remember that, like uh, your your ABS design that came out in what was it like 2019? I want to say maybe earlier. Um, how far it's come since then, like the U bolt, um, all, all the iterations since then. Because uh, you have an engineering background, right? Um, I guess technically, uh, vocationally, yes. Educationally, no. Educationally, it's computer science, but I. I knew by the second year of computer science school that I hated that and I was never going to be able to keep doing that. And uh, luckily, li- you know, life broke in my direction that I could uh, you know, continue with that degree path and not have to go back and start that over, but then work in, you know, in, in more of an engineering design sort of background. So I definitely caught a break in that regard that I'm quite grateful for. But yeah, it's a it's a weird it's a weird mixture of you know, the 3D printed gun design stuff ended up being my end to get an engineering design thing, which ended up being my end to, you know, have an engineering background, as it were. So I guess, yes, an engineering background for, you know, an engineering background explains how I'm doing the gun design stuff, but it's technically, uh, you know, the, the chicken and egg situation where uh, technically the 3D printed gun design stuff came first there. That's actually really cool. Well, like, ch- chase your passions. I get it. I My field of study and everything else was so, so, so different than what I ended up doing. And that's entirely because of the two-way world, and I fucking love that. Ivan, did you shoot before this? Like, what was your introduction to guns in general? Uh, quite a bit, yeah. So, like, I've got the whole Midwestern sort of rural-ish family upbringing sort of a thing. So, I guess for the first part of my life, not not necessarily. But for especially the, the, the latter half, certainly, of, of my childhood. Like, you know, living on some amount of acreage and like uh, your dad's got a tractor and he doesn't just get a tractor because it's for fun. He gets a tractor because he's doing tractor things. Right. And so that's cool. But 
so so I, I probably the first gun I ever shot was a Browning Auto Five, and I wasn't you know Dad would haul me along you know because d- Dad was big into it, whole family was big into it, but uh, we'd go to like you know trap shooting or you know clay shooting events, and you know me being young and essentially forced child labor, uh, you know <laughs> Dad would Dad would have me pull the traps for him, yeah, and so th- th- there was enough times doing this where I was like okay this is boring I I, I want to shoot the gun or something, and so it's the you know the gun that's there to shoot the only thing that would you know, even be conceivable as a Browning Auto Five, and in twelve gauge, which of course is you know notorious for you know while it is probably softer in terms of the actual physics than you know shooting an over under shotgun, an over under twelve gauge, because that's like shooting a two by four. There's no sort of recoil mitigation or dampening there. The Auto Five still has that sort of it's, it's an action like the M1 Grand where you feel the initial recoil and then the bolt slams against the rear of the receiver and that tends to throw people off balance. So being yeah. a first grader, you know, you go and shoot an Auto Five and 12 gauge, and of course you have somebody holding up the fore end, so you've just sort of got it sort of in your shoulder, and then you're peering along the stock and you pull the trigger, and it kicks you hard enough. You're like, okay, shooting guns isn't fun because yeah. you know, be, be, being a, a first grader shooting a 12 gauge, it's it's not not such an enjoyable experience. So I sort of shied away from them for maybe another year or two, but then you're going to shoot 22s for the first time i was like oh oh my god this is so much fun like it it, do, it doesn't hurt it's not painful and so uh, from there it sort of started my introduction to guns and in middle school and high school i was on a, a trap shooting competition league that was a lot of fun so i guess sort of my my main background is in sort of like the fuddy shotgun sports but you know, then got into sort of more ar stuff got into handgun shooting uh, gained some competency there, and by the time I was, you know, pretty decent with a rifle, especially bench rest, and decent with a, a handgun, had done some 400-yard shooting stuff that was, now I, I guess not competitional, but sort of a, a competition among family and friends, at a, at a at a 400-yard range, that I I you know, then sort of got into the, you know, I'm also a person who works on my own cars, and I'm. You know, talented with my hands in that regard so maybe i want to get into building guns so i put together a couple of ars at that point and then i'd known i wanted to have a 3d printer to help me with fixing and working on old cars for some time and so i I got a 3d printer and then used it to print replacement parts for for my corvette and then uh you eventually the 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 dark voices in my head were like okay so you're gonna print an ar lower and i was like okay i'll give it a try (laughs) that that became a became a wormhole all of its own that is incredible. And here we are years later and you can print AKs. You can print basically like a fully printable a homemade P90 is coming out soon. Uh, I think the barrel's not like you still have to buy a P90 barrel, but that's yeah. not hard to find. Does it use a P90 barrel or is it an AR barrel? I, th- I think it uses a like a generic blank. Uh, so it's you, you, you can do, you can just get, you know, five, seven barrel blanks. And then I think they're oh. having a, I think they're having a guy turn it down. So it'll probably end up still being like a hundred ish dollars. Cause again, again, for the stupidest possible reasons, FN decided that the, the entire case dimensions on the outside still had to be different from, from 223. So you can't just use a 223 chamber reamer or something that's just a shorter 223 chamber reamer. No, it's, it's a whole entirely different thing to, to cut a chamber for a, for a five, seven. You heard it here first, folks. Five seven is a dumb caliber. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't going to come right out and say it, but yeah, I yeah. kind of think so. It, it the, its basis for existing is confusing in the first place. Uh, Oxide on YouTube had a great video where he showcased the fact that like it it completely failed at what it was originally invented to do anyway. 
And so it, it exists as like this weird failure that's still sort of there floating around. And I think most of that has to do with like in, in Call of Duty and video games and movies and media. And I guess also Stargate for the P90. Like people latched on to gosh, isn't that cool? And I think it sort of it sort of gained the clout where like even if it is like functionally speaking, it it failed at what it was originally designed and set out to do. From a design standpoint, there was like some had to have been some some weird stuff getting smoked at FN at that time because it seems like there's an obvious solution. You just take five five six and make it shorter, and instead they just did something stupid. So <laughs> I, I, I could go on and on about the the gripes that I have about like. Man, if you if you locked me in a room for a hundred years and told me like design the stupidest caliber that has to meet these parameters, I don't think I'd ever come up with something as bad as five seven. And I guess FN is owed congratulations for that because good lord, they're like <laughs> European Caltech. Just I mean, it was designed in the eighties. Like Coke went around like nothing else, right? And, and it's really weird too because of all the stuff submitted, I think five seven you know, for that for that little contract where they wanted the armor armor penetrating armor defeating PDW pistol yeah. caliber thing. Of all the things submitted, five seven was probably the best, and and that's crazy because it's terrible. Four <laughs> <laughs> six is even worse. Four, four six is seventeen HMR in terms of in terms of muscle mm. energy. It's 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 a rim fi- it's a rimfire round. <laughs> we'll, we'll speak honestly here. It's it's really just a rimfire round ballistics. It's nothing. Oh uh, again, in, in Oxide's like, video, he compared the armor penetration there. Four six also fails to penetrate the armor. It was like the entire reason for its existence was to defeat the Russian paratrooper armor, and it would defeat it the Russian. What's that? And it couldn't. It could, so it could defeat the Russian paratrooper armor that was in use in Afghanistan in the seventies. Yeah, <laughs> but by the end of that, the Russians realized like this armor's not that great. We're going to thicken it up. The thicker stuff that like, you know, because the, their fear was like Russia is going to invade Europe and they'll drop behind allied lines. We've just got a bunch of guys, you know, lazing around with nine mils here. They'd get absolutely smoked because they couldn't, you know, nine mils certainly can't defeat Russian armor. So you want to give everybody like a PDW and a pistol that could maybe have a chance of defeating Russian armor. So they designed it to defeat the Russian armor from the 70s and it would be absolutely useless against the stuff the Russians were actually using. And, you know, none of NATO, <laughs> none of NATO actually realized this. And uh, you know, Oxide again on YouTube, I'll, I'll plug him again. He's got a video that goes over this whole thing and he gets you know five seven like ap five seven rounds and the ap four six rounds and tests them against the russian armor from the time and it would have been wildly ineffective like the russians would have bulldozed all of europe you know nato's back lines had they had they attacked in the way that nato feared because you know five seven is going to be just as ineffective as nine millimeter in that regard so it, it you know it failed at what it set out to do and I, I i think in that video he mentions there was one other round that was submitted for that but you know part of the part of the tender for the for this design challenge was you came up with the new round and a new gun to shoot it in and this third contender was a new round and it seems like on paper the round was maybe promising but they didn't design a gun at all to shoot it from so they just like rechambered a uh they rechambered a, a Thompson Center contender for this new round. So it, they had they had a single shot break action rifle that you could shoot this out of for the trials, and so yeah. it uh, sort of got laughed out of there because they realized it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Wow. And we I were talking no earlier. Idea. Yeah, that's it, fascinating. We were talking. It, earlier it was a really that. interesting video to watch because the whole time I had sort of thought like, okay, but the reason five seven exists is like defeating armor and all this sorts of stuff. Yeah. And, and of course, it does have better armor penetration capabilities than something like nine mil. But the armor penetration capability benchmark that they set it it technically fell short of. And so uh, it, it's really weird. And then especially because like you can't buy that AP stuff here in the states. There's some that comes in as loose projectiles. 
in, I guess, you know, technically te- technically illegally there's stuff that comes in as, as loose projectiles and gets reloaded and it's like you know buffman's reloaded some of that and done armor penetration tests with that oxide did some of that and same with the four six you can't get the actual ap four six so the stuff that you can get here is like the is, is the even worse at armor penetration versions of these rounds so you can't even get the stuff that was ineffective at doing what it was supposed to do in the first place Jeez, I but you no can look cool on Instagram with your yeah. S90, right? <laughs> yeah, one on each hand, just doing it for the gram, which was originally what it was designed for 40 years ago by a bunch yes. of dudes at <laughs> FN doing coke. Um, we, we want we want this gun to look super cool. It'll be like out of Star Wars, right? Yeah, dude, our our local police department until very recently that was their patrol carbine. They had P90s no. in their trunk. Everyone, yeah, full auto ones. Uh, I think full auto. Yeah. Wow. For yeah, a police carbine, I don't think that it's it's altogether too bad around because I think you know the, the big advantage that stuff like you know, the 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 small caliber pistol you know pistol level of energies it's you know it's all all under that umbrella of like it's pistol pistol muzzle energy level but small caliber high velocity you against unarmored targets that that concept in general is great and so the the only twenty two TCM rounds you can buy are are, are hollow point lead tip rounds so you know meant for expansion and fragmentation on impact and against against soft targets that that high velocity relatively small diameter stuff is extremely effective so i think as far as as far as having like a police carbine sort of thing that's it's not terrible although one one sneaking suspicion that i this is like my my alex jones tinfoil hat brain i don't know that there's any truth behind this but i think the only reason that because you know, people will complain, like, in, admittedly, it is one big detriment of 22 TCM. You can't buy any full metal jacket ammo. It's only the hollow point soft points that you can buy. But I think the reason for that is because they realize if they, because you know, they're imp- they're making all this ammo in the Philippines and importing it. Arms Corps doesn't have ammo that they make here. So it's all being imported. And any ammo that's imported is subject to ATF purview to tell them whether or not it's armor penetrating. And I think if they made five seven, or if they made twenty two TCM full metal jacket rounds, it's higher velocity and a smaller case length than than five seven. And so I'm sure wow. the ATF would look at this and go, "Uh huh, <laughs> this will breeze through level three armor." Are Are you sure you want to be importing this? Because uh, we're not going to grant that. So I, huh. I imagine I imagine the reason they only imp, you know, they only make an import hollow point soft points at this at this time is. Because uh, it will certainly not penetrate through armor, because it's specifically designed not to penetrate. And we were talking about twenty-two C- TCM earlier, but I was yeah, curious. Before recording. Yeah, uh, I'm curious if you think twenty-two TCM would have won the trials. Let's say if they did have armor piercing back then against I, the uh, five seven and four six. I think so. The only thing that gives me hesitation is that. Like 22 TCM as it's currently designed is a conversion caliber. So they, they they made it so its overall length is the same as 45 ACP because they wanted to put it in 1911s. Hmm. I think that had it been going through the NATO stuff, they would have mandated like, because you know, it's normally nominally designed around a 40 grain bullet. I imagine if it was going through NATO stuff, they would have done the, it needs to be capable of taking a 62 grain bullet because at some rate they'd want to try and, you know, they'd want to take, try and take M855 projectiles and put it in there. Put it in there. Okay. So I imagine they would have then extended the mag, you know, the overall length of the case enough that it wouldn't actually fit in a 45 ACP magwell. Because you know, just, just because of the way, you know, because they had just finished designing M855 and, 
while while I've got also interesting thoughts about M855 and how it also sort of fails to set out what it's meant to do, like it's a barrier defeating round that has less penetration than M193, and it's also less accurate just by nature of having a penetrator in it. So it's confusing to me why that even exists. But you know, except there were a bunch of guys that sat around a desk and they're like let's come up with a new round that we want to design, but we're going to like pretend we have no idea how guns work to come up with the criteria. And everybody sitting around the table was like, okay, that's a great idea. And so they came out with a round that was excellent at meeting the criteria and is generally speaking worse than M193 in almost every way. But I imagine that same thing would have happened at some rate with 22 TCM where they're like, well, it needs to take a 62 grain projectile. Why? Well, because we just designed one, but why? Well, because. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that I do want to try is... So, so 22 TCM can be hand loaded and mm. it can be hand loaded with any 224 or 223 diameter projectile. 22 Hornet is a 223 diameter round. It's, it's meant for hunting small game, but it's, it's a relatively high velocity thing, but it, it also uses 40 grain ish rounds. But what I want to do is at one point in time, they made 22 Hornet rounds that were brass solids. And so I want to load 22 TCM with some of these 223 diameter brass solids. <laughs> That would be cool. I bet you that would penetrate a little bit. Wow, I'm looking at the 22 Hornet right now. It's fascinating. It's got a that little is, neck to it, right? Yeah, like just like it, it's it's got like a really a really shallow angle on its neck. Mm-hmm. It's it's, an, it's a very interesting round, but I can't find any of those rounds in stock, so I may end up having somebody make me new production. If somebody had like a Swiss machine or a screw machine, they could just turn down on a lathe a bunch of 40 grain, 223 diameter. Uh, projectiles that you could then load in 22 TCM and it would be legal because you'd be loading it in 22 TCM to shoot through your 22 TCM rifle of course and it wouldn't be armor piercing pistol ammo and then you'd go and shoot that through your 22 TCM rifle certainly as you intended to do of course and I'm, I'm sure it would breeze through all manners of armor because at that point you'd have you know, essentially the same thing that you're doing with the uh, the civilian legal 5.7 ammo only it's going to be a little bit higher velocity fascinating so that 22 TCM normally is around 2,000 feet. Out of per a five-inch barrel, you can get 1,900, 2,000 feet per second, which is which is pretty wow. darn fast. And wow. at the same bullet weights, of course, I, I may get this wrong because I'm doing it from memory. I believe at the same bullet weights out of a 5.7, like a, a, an FN 5.7 shooting 5.7 that is also 40 grain projectile and it's essentially the same length barrel, you get end up getting like 1,800 feet per second. So it's usually mm. a one or 200 foot per second difference. Though depending on the ammo, that, that's what the the good 5.7, the, the cheaper knockoff American made 5.7 is like, generally speaking, significantly more anemic than the the good stuff. Because yeah. I know I've seen some people test the American Eagle, like 40 or 42 grain 5.7 from a 5.7, and they end up getting like sixteen or 1,700 feet per second. And at that case, 22 TCM is blowing the doors off of it. Wow. That is really interesting. I, I didn't expect to, to learn about terminal ballistics today, but I'm actually fascinated. <laughs> I'm a 22 TCM stand. I, I made fun of it just because I didn't understand it. And then I went and shot it and I was like, oh, oh, I understand. Like, it, you know, I guess I also am sort of a geek for conversion calibers. I like that in general. Like, you know, that that 357 SIG and 40 Smith and Wesson can be swapped back and forth or like nine Dylan is one that not a lot of people know about. But they, they design- nine Dylan <laughs> in my life. so so like if you're familiar how. 10 millimeter became got cut down and became 40 Smith and Wesson and how 40 Smith and Wesson and 357 SIG are related because it's the same case but neck down to 9 millimeter for 357 SIG. 9 Dylan, somebody looked at 10 millimeter and was like, we're just going to neck 10 millimeter down to 9 millimeter but keep the same overall case length. 
So you end up with something that's like, you know, in terms of velocity, it's pretty extreme, but you can take your normal nine millimeter projectiles and load them in a 10 mil case. And I think it ends up being like 16, 1700 feet per second with nine mil projectiles, which is kind of goofy. But it, wow. you know, it, it is a conversion caliber that did not see much adoption. But with 10 millimeter becoming more and more popular, I sort of imagine it'll come more into the swing of things. And maybe you can get to the point that you can buy nine Dylan ammo from from big manufacturers. That would be cool to see. But yeah. In general, I like conversion calibers. Like 41 Action Express is a conversion caliber that by by today is completely dead. It's gone away forever. But the Israelis were, you know, because the police decided they wanted something that was, you know, around 40 caliber. So the Israelis took 41 Magnum, cut it down to fit in a 9 mil magwell, and then machined a 9 mil case head on the back of it. So it's got a rebated rim, which is a lot of, you know, all of the all of that complexity is why i'm sure it ended up dying because cases were expensive to manufacture but 41 action express then let you shoot 40 caliber projectiles from a nine millimeter handgun with a nine millimeter extractor and nine millimeter everything so it was essentially just a barrel swap out because they managed to put a nine mil case head on a 40 cal case wow and that's the jericho the jericho 941 yeah, ability, so so right? the, the Jericho got them, but they ended up making 41 Action Express barrels for high powers. I think there were some made for 1911s as well. And so wow. I've, I've got a case of 41 AE that I bought, and I bought a 41 AE barrel because I was like, well, I'm going to put this in a high power one day. But then looking at it, I'm like, I think I'm just going to let this sit here. And then maybe one day as some sort of celebration, I'll shoot it. But <laughs> it's, it's just so cool to sort of have as a collector's thing. Like at one point in time, somebody thought this was a good idea. But <laughs> I mean, just just as far as conversion calibers go, I think they're super cool. And twenty two TCM is probably my favorite because, you know, the the you know the deep lore there is nine millimeter and two twenty three share an almost identical case head. It's not exactly the same, and I believe they don't actually have a common ancestor. They just ended up having very similar you know case head dimensions. But because of that, if you have a nine mil nineteen eleven. All it takes is a barrel swap to make it 22 TCM because the extractors and ejectors are the exact same because the case head is the exact same. And so I thought that was like, you know, in terms of like designing a conversion caliber, I think they did a really good job of picking 22 TCM the way that design converged, where it's you know based on 223 brass to make it cheap to manufacture. But because 223 has the same case head as 9 mil, you can use 9 millimeter guns. Best. Based. Very based. I'd never heard of it before you, you mentioned. And now yeah, I, I guess at this point, I'm like the 22 TCM salesman of the year or whatever. They should start paying yeah. me. But <laughs> Well, ho- hopefully someone figures out a, a homemade P90 chambered in that because that could be fun. So I guess the, the one issue there is I know I, I, somebody on some gun forum made, I think it was an AR9 in 22 TCM. And it'll consistently rip off case heads. It does not like direct blowback. Ah, because you know the the brass that they're using is very very soft because they're not you know they're not using military spec 223 brass to draw these things because why would they but it is still a very high pressure cartridge for, for what it is and so in a in a direct blowback when extraction starts the moment that you, you, the moment you hit peak pressure extraction is happening it tends to just rip off case heads and or split cases no, that actually in, in direct indirect blowback applications so potentially you know once if if and or once 22 tcm really catches on and people start making cases that aren't out of like butter soft unhardened brass i'm sure you could but till then it's it's at the ragged edge of what's acceptable in locked breach or you know, lock, locked breach actions or i think the only thing you can buy it in currently 
Well, if anyone who's listening to this does reloading and is has a lathe and is interested in sending Ivan a bunch of uh, forty grain uh, two something projectiles, I don't know something turned down. I I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Please let him know at Navi Gobu. And then I have to buy a bunch of a uh, bunch of body armor, Kevlar, and then <laughs> shoot through it. And shoot through it and go, huh? Well, that's neat. Yeah, <laughs> I was always under the the impression that it was meant to. Uh, to penetrate soft armor, which basically every rifle caliber can do, but I, I don't really know. Right, I, but it, it does. You know, the from a standpoint of you know five seven and the the sub caliber pistol ish level pistol ish power rounds in general, that is true. That of course rifle rounds breeds through most soft armor, but they sort of wanted to put that capability into something that's as soft shooting and as handleable as a pistol as a pistol that makes so, sense you, you wouldn't you don't want your mechanics to have you know carbines or full-size rifles because they, they generally would never need them but a p90 is so much more compact and handleable if they could have the just enough to punch through some certain armor in their in their essentially sidearm essentially the yeah. same you know it's the same way the m1 carbine ended up being adopted in, in world war ii that it was given to all the guys who are generally not going to be shooting at somebody where if, if they had to shoot at somebody, they'd be very competent at it, much more competent than if they just had a pistol or whatever else. But what they're going to be doing with this gun most of the time is not shooting it. And so that actually requires a gun that's sort of designed to the fact that it should be light and handleable and it should probably not be able to beat up too easily. And I just sent a link to this to the chat and it's a it's the what we were talking about before we started recording was yeah, there's the a seven Glock, yeah. Yeah, there's a Glock chassis, basically, well, a frame that turns into a chassis where it's a Glock 17, right? And it looks like an MP7. Functions kind of similar to an MP7. It's probably a little bit bigger. But I was telling uh, Ivan and Nathan that it would be badass. It's by one plus two equals three D. By the way, it would be badass if you put a 22 TCM conversion kit barrel and stuff in there, and Ooh. then that was your new new age MP7. With 3D printed, of course. With that anyone uh, could make it home. Anyone could make it That's home true. for for the the conversion kits are like I don't know. They're not expensive. Bucks, maybe less. Maybe less. Yeah, not terribly expensive. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we talked a lot about 22 TCM. I'm sorry. <laughs> the oh, 22 it's, it's TCM okay. show. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like <laughs> for for a lot of this, like I I, I know a, a little bit, like a little more than the average bear about terminal ballistics. A lot of this, I'm like, oh. I, I'm I'm lost, but okay. But uh, it works. It, it works. Uh, some of our listeners are going to get a little bit of a lesson on why the five seven round was designed by people on cocaine, <laughs> <laughs> and not the good cocaine. Not the good cocaine. Not the cocaine <laughs> that the guys at Caltech are taking. Yeah, <laughs> Caltech's got the good cocaine. <laughs> I yeah, but I'm I'm curious. Anyway, I'm sorry, guys. We we all just took a mutual bathroom break together. We held hands. Yeah, uh, Ivan, uh, we were just curious about what the uh, the inner culture of the 3D printing gun world looks like and kind of how it's it's influenced both inside and outside from, you know, the rest of the 2A community. Well, that's a good question. I think I, it's changed at least a little bit since I've been aware of it. Like when it really first started out, it was like a, the uh, like sort of the edgy libertarian nutcases i want to say so like it was it was the people who were like they're, they're interested in this because the government's scared of it and really for no other reason so there was a lot of people who were like very much not gun people but very much were sort of like the anarchist anti-government types who were like latching on to this because they were like oh my goodness government's owned and gun control's over 
but you know when you go and look through these people's feeds it's like they're, they're not gun people they don't own guns they don't as far as the gun stuff goes they don't really care so much as like it's just because the government doesn't like it at least as far as they're concerned so that's sort of where i i sort of detected things started off and i guess initially that was fun but eventually you realize it's just like edgy people who don't want to pay taxes and that's just about the that, you know, that's that's the depth of the that's the depth of like the politics or understanding that's there to be seen in the community. And so uh, sort of over time, it, it started to expand far beyond that. Uh, probably there in 2019, I started noticing like there's a bunch of people who are like the total opposite of these libertarian nut jobs where you have like a lot of socialist nut jobs who are latching onto it where they're like, well, I can buy guns and I don't have to support the the capitalist white nationalist gun industry. And I'm like, the, the what? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where you get this from, but like apparently, apparently the gun lobby is like run by neo-Nazis or something. You know, so, so they've also got their insane conspiracy theories to justify it, which, okay, that's fine. But like you started noticing a lot more of the, uh, like the, the, the democratic socialist likes owning guns types. And so that was, again, interesting to see. But sort of as, as that started to expand, you started to see more inclusion from people that, you know, traditionally speaking, like like very traditional gun and gun community. Like if you look back, especially to like the 90s and early 2000s, just plain old weren't involved at all. So like the, the queer communities and the LGBTQ communities like weren't at all associated with owning guns at that time. It was like a... You know, like what much more of a white man's sport if you will and so uh it expanded you know, i noticed a, a significant expansion of that sort of late 2019 where like one particular in instance was like there was a twitter thing going on where there was some person who was like well 3d printed guns don't work and we went down the hole well yes they do and then the response to that was like okay it's just a bunch of like white libertarian gun fuckers who, who, who do this and, and i'm like Okay, and then somebody drops in, and you know, in their bio, they're like they're they're a, they're a trans poly, uh, you know, bi curious uh, democratic socialist, uh, and they're also a furry, and so I'm like, <laughs> they drop in, and just like immediately seeing them drop in, I'm like, oh great, you know, they're they're here to tell me how awful it is that I'm white, but they're like, no, I print guns. And they post a picture of a couple of the clocks they printed. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, this is like my first time running into that. And it's like, okay, well, that's kind of awesome. Because like, you, you, you know, this person whose preconceived notion was like, it's just a bunch of like good old boy, you know, white dudes, you know, printing guns was like blown apart by the fact that it's like there's somebody who's very much not that who was there printing guns. And so that that was cool. And of course, you know, something I support. I'm big in favor of the, you know, you know minority groups and at-risk groups are probably the, the ones who are most in need of a Second Amendment right being protected because the people who are connected and have money and uh, like by and large people who are capable of owning property right like they'll, they'll end up owning guns anyway because they have that level of connection but it's the people who aren't able to afford a gun license or you know, there, there's been proposals i've seen before on state legislature levels where if you live in an apartment you can't own a gun you have to own property capable of firing a gun on your own property to own a gun like dog that's fucked up that's fucked it's blatantly an attack on on the lower no, the lower and lower middle class is what that is. And you're yeah. disguising this as a, we're keeping you safe. Cause no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're fucking not. Yeah. I, I so, for, remember that, uh, all that gun control legislation that was getting pushed through like a couple weeks ago. One mm -hmm. of them was, uh, 1000% tax on ARs. 
right or, or something something similar it's like we'll make well we'll price people out and it's like well that's not pricing everyone out it's just making it so lower class people can afford right like them. i would still be able to buy them i mean it would cost me more it would hurt more i'd still be able to buy them but it's the people who are most likely to end up needing them who yeah. then wouldn't have them is, is what you've managed to accomplish by that so that that sort of stuff always rubs me the wrong way so it was cool to see you know, people who come from a mindset that's very different than mine in that regard, as far as like the, of course, of course, I guess on, on most social things, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not, don't, don't align with the traditional 1990s sort of gun world on, on most social things. Like I have no problem with gay marriage and these sorts of things, which in the nineties gun world was a controversial thing. It seems of course, like, uh, I forget what his name is and that's, that's entirely my fault, but he, he's the, He's the gay guy who's like a professional pistol shooter, and he's like uh, really, Chris. really. I'm shot Chris. That, that's right. So he's he's like really good at that, and like he he was on the cover of like Recoil magazine wearing a pride shirt, and people like shit their pants about it. Like did, he didn't say or do anything controversial in the article. He just like wore a shirt with a rainbow flag on it. Like, and, and people got like completely in a wad about it. And so, you know, I I've, I certainly don't identify with that part of the gun community anyway. But like from a standpoint of people being socialists or like extremely pro-union. That's not some, that's not a background that I come from, right? And so it was cool seeing those people also latch onto 3D printed guns, albeit for sort of a different reason than I had latched onto them, that it was interesting. And so the community is sort of built around like, th there's such a wide base of people that the community sort of now envelops where it's it's difficult to, it's, it's almost difficult to just say it as the community that, that it ends up almost being a misnomer because there's sort of like sub communities and things. And sometimes you'll even run into it where it's like the sort of core libertarian, we're sticking it to the government by making our own untraceable guns side will argue with the socialist. We're making these to avoid having anything to do with the NRA or the, you know, the, these gun companies that, you know, because you know, if you ask these gun companies to pick a side in the, like the traditional gun industry versus the sort of socialist gun owners industry, you know which exactly which direction they're going, and so you know, so see socialists slash onto it for that reason. And so it's you know, you'll sometimes see these two groups like argue or infight about social things, you know, outside of just the three D printed gun stuff. So the community's certainly overly broad, and of course there's you know, there's people from even further extremes. Like you know, there's people who are like the the land the landlords deserve to be shot and killed and drugged through the streets types, who are have lashed onto this the same way that there's people who are like the but maybe this should only be a country for white people types who have latched onto this. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's the nature of things is it's open and accessible. And that means that you're going to have unsavory people latch onto it. Yeah. Well, so, it goes back to like uh, technology knows no politics. You'll get everyone. Right. And so I, I think it's, it's been interesting to see that, you know, the community is broad enough and perhaps, you know, perhaps welcoming enough. Cause it's not like there is a, you know, there's no CEO of 3d printed guns as hard as some people want to try and make themselves it's you. that it's your no, CEO of 3D printed guns. I, I refuse this title, right? It's, it's, the, <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the thing from Yakuza. I'll become, I'll become the head of the Yakuza just so I can immediately step down from being the head of the Yakuza. <laughs> like, uh, no, I, I, I don't want that. And I think it's better that there, there isn't one. So there can be no official politics and there can be no official standpoint. Like there can never be a guy who says, you know, this is what the 3D printed gun community believes. And I think the, the, the further you can keep things towards that, I think generally speaking, the better. Because you know, once a group or entity or organization is capable of taking the side, they start pissing people off and people get alienated and it ends up causing trouble. So I think it's good that at least at least as much as it as much as is possible thus far, the 3D printed gun community has sort of respected the it's a it's a sort of a 
coalescence of a bunch of individual people who come from a wide background, wide and storied, varied background. But despite that, it still managed to become very effective. And perhaps, you know, some aspect of its effectiveness or how quickly things get designed and developed and done may even owe to that fact that, you know, there's people who would feel out of place or would never, never even consider working at a traditional gun company who then in the 3D printed space have ended up designing stuff that gun companies probably would be making a lot of money on if it was their idea. Oh, uh, Mitch just messaged, by the way. He just said, uh, tell tell you guys, I say shalom. And um, he wants to know uh, to you, PSR, if you will ever make your, because uh, I'm pretty sure we asked this last time, but he, he's curious anyway, if you will ever make your alternate life known. Um, well, I think, <clears throat> I think my alternate life will probably come to light before I do. Like it, someone will, will give it a big old, I don't know, they'll, they'll broadcast it or something at some point and it'll, it'll get d- discovered and then I won't confirm that it's me. So, <laughs> uh, but it's very easy. It's pretty easy. Uh, it was happening on Twitter actually. And, it, and that's another thing I kind of wanted to talk with you about get your thoughts on Ivan is this the whole anonymity within the community well the community we're talking about kind of it's it's very very wide but uh I think it's an interesting topic to to talk about but someone on Twitter had in the midst of talking about whether or not people should be anonymous within the 3d printing gun space um I got brought up as like someone mentioned me and that, that that I have a whole other persona and they knew about it they, that's all they said, but um, but it's 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 known. I feel like, but if people, it seems like a lot of people don't want to know what my face looks like, and they're like, "Don't ever take the mask off," which I completely understand. And it's a character, you know. And and I I am a performer. I'm an entertainer. Obviously, I believe deeply in you know the power of you know building your own stuff and 3D printing guns and and just the you know manufacturing your own things, whether it's guns or not. I think it's a powerful thing. Um, yeah. And so I, yeah, I, I, uh, bring it back. I don't, uh, I don't know if I'll do that voluntarily. It'll probably get put out involuntarily. And then yes, like I said, I'll deny it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, obviously no one can see our, our screens. We don't record any video from this. But occasionally over the course of recording right now, you have looked exactly like the Giga Chad guy. Like you do right now. <laughs> like, wow. I'm like you honored. got the hair, you got the beard, you got the jawline. It's it's great. It's wonderful. Let it be known, everyone listening, I am uh, a, a visual. He uh, is just Giga Chad. I am Giga Chad. <laughs> so you just Under the mat. <laughs> I guess you got doxxed here. Uh, you're, you're the Giga Chad guy. Yep. The, the man from all the memes. But, uh, Imagine though, imagine if I didn't have the mask on, if I didn't have the mask on, what am I, would it be even more successful because of my jawline? <laughs> just, just, just I mean, it might be, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm talking too much about myself. And I feel oh, like dude, you, no, you're, you're fine. That's one thing I kind of like about the podcast, you know, me being present or not, you know, mentally, we just kind of shoot the shit and it's fun. Talk about whatever we want. We can talk about t- 22 TCM even. <laughs> Forever. For like an Half hour. The podcast is 22 TCM. <laughs> Superior cartridge. At, don't Best. at me. Um, uh, but I was, I sorry to interrupt, but. Uh, no, no, dude, you're Ivan, fine. You're fine. Ivan, 
what do you think about because like i saw this debate on twitter earlier and i want to get your thoughts on it i think it'd be a good thing to, for people to hear is just like you know i i, I wear the balaclava for a number of reasons um but mainly because it just it gives me a, a like a cool little costume to wear and a character to play easier um and it's you know partially wanting to separate that from my other you know, life and whatnot and you are obviously anonymous and been very good about your anonymity and keeping that um you know well covered so what do you think about like there it seems like there's this debate i know um Mr. Mr. Pincus. Oh God, um, this I know, guy. I don't, I don't mean to bring Mr. <laughs> Rob. Don't Pincus say his the... name; he'll show up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I, I want to know. So, someone just fill me in. Oh, geez. So this, this is something oh, we Rob would take Pincus. Out. Yeah. Oh yeah. fuck that guy on the record. <laughs> fuck that guy. Fucking so, if, if you can hear this, Rob Pincus, uh, you're you're a big smelly. <laughs> And I'm in anonymity within the community, and I'm just curious yeah, what Ivan. Yeah. So, what do you think about that whole debate, Ivan? So, I think it's a it's a very important philosophical one to 3D printed guns, and it's it's an interesting one too because there's like a, a, a several like ironic things about it. So, like the 3D printed gun community, like most sort of open source internet guerrilla communities. Of course, at least at least as early on, internet guerrilla community sort of aptly describes it. I think anymore that's not not very apt at all. But like early on, when it wasn't sure what the laws were surrounding this, and everything seemed much more like a gray area, and nobody knew what was going on. Like most of what was going on was all you know behind the scenes, cloak and dagger, internet accounts on IRCs behind three VPNs, and that sort of thing. But despite that all, like the 3D printing stuff was all sort of spearheaded by Defense Distributed and Cody Wilson put his face on all of that work. Like, you know, that's what you saw. So like from the very beginning, it was like there was very obviously a person in front of this. So like that, that all happened that way. And there was a person in front of it. And then that like stopped being a thing. And then it was all like more or less nameless, faceless people. And there's a couple exceptions, like uh, Jeff Rodriguez, Jeff Rod with the Liberator 12K. He was pr pretty early on in Foscat, I think 2014, 2015, he got involved and he'd always had his face on stuff. And you know, there's there some some uh, some exceptions, of course, but for the most part, you know, most, most of the work that was getting done was nameless, faceless people. And it wasn't until after the sort of explosion around 2018 of development and progress and interest in this stuff that that really sort of changed. But for the most part, again, sort of the, the default was most people don't share their names or faces or, or these sorts of things out of perhaps an abundance of caution, of course, like don't talk to strangers on the Internet or whatever, because there's, you know, there's always weirdos out there who will do something with that information. But, you know, also just from a standpoint of like even in 2018, it was still more or less like an Internet an internet guerrilla movement thing where it was like the people who interested in doing this are very motivated and like they have like they have strong motivations and feelings about why they're doing it like you know jeff rod's like a big you know, a personal security even even though he shared his name and face like a big personal security he's got like threads and lots of knowledge dumps he's done on like home security camera systems and these sorts of things like you know, dudes you know, dude takes it very seriously and so i think it was a lot of these sorts of people were like you know, they've, they've got a, they've got a very serious reason they're interested in it. Whereas like nowadays you sort of see like somebody's like, okay, that looks cool. I'll try it. And that's just about the extent of their involvement is like, they don't know any of the names behind the stuff. They just like, they know you could download a file for a Glock frame. Cause they saw it on a YouTube comment and they print a Glock frame and they're like, okay, that's neat. 
but they're, they're not familiar of any of the names behind the scenes. So like they're like on the very outskirts of the community, perhaps, but like you know, the community has expanded much beyond us to the point of like dedicated internet radicals who are like completely up to speed with all of the deep lore of the community or whatever. So much less of an internet gorilla thing nowadays, but it's so, so I guess all that to say in, in summary of my introduction to my, my thoughts, there is like a early on, it made sense why so many people were anonymous or faceless. So whenever I, I jumped into things, I can speak for me personally, at least I sort of just defaulted to that. Cause like, I didn't want people seeing my face. Cause why would you need to, I'm just going to show off this, this cool thing that I made or I did. And so, you know, went and showed that off, especially cause you know, starting out uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, was still living with my parents, right? And so I'm not about to like dox my parents' address because I'd get in trouble for that. <laughs> like if somebody showed up looking for me and then ran into my parents, I would never hear the end of that. So of course, you know, take things seriously security wise for that reason as well. Yeah. But you know, by by 2019, uh, 2020, uh, I've, I've moved out in, in 2018, 2019. Gosh, I, I forget when I graduated school. I think it was maybe 2019. Got done with college. Of course, when I was in college, I was definitely didn't want my face being seen right because it was a a left-leaning enough school that if you went to somebody if 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 somebody was motivated enough to go to somebody at the school and was like this guy's a fucking wacko you know at the very least i'd be talked to about it if not i would be like uh pushed out of the school because they don't want the school being associated with something so aggressive as i made my own gun because i thought it would be cool and so yeah. uh can you because you know that's a polarizing issue in a, in a controversial position to take especially among institutions of progressive education so that was sort of my prevailing motive then as well as you know the job that i worked through through most of college was uh one that wouldn't wouldn't be okay with like one of our employees makes guns for fun and talks about it openly on the internet like that's that's crazy behavior whereas where i'm employed now like knows all about like i've, I've told them like i make guns and talk about it on the internet and they're like okay based. so cool based so, so, so <laughs> by now that's you know certainly not not as big a concern so so anymore as far as the stuff that was like that, that worries me about sharing my face i guess it's just that i get identified by somebody who would be emotional enough about the fact that i share the fact that i made something on the internet that they would come and do something about about it so like they show up maybe they steal you know because one concern that i think a lot of people don't think about is like you could get packages stolen like if somebody knew like this guy's having a gun arrive every week right gun or gun parts or these sorts of things or tons of ammo showing up at his doorstep in your address is public you sort of open yourself up to people like as far as ports piracy goes you're painting a target on your back in that regard at least as far as i'm concerned because like mm -hmm. every time a big box shows up on your porch somebody knows that's a new ar upper and so that there's a little $600 box you could just waltz off with. So, yeah. so, you know, that's perhaps one concern that I still have, but you know, the other concern being if it's, it's somebody who's like some sort of emotional anti-gun advocate wants to come and try problems. Again, I'm sure my work wouldn't really care. Um, you know, I'm sure you know, as far as like, I live at my own house. So if you come and show up to see me at my house, it's like, hi, cool. So I don't have to deal with my parents being upset about it or whatever. So I, you know, I, a lot of the things that were initially big issues or concerns for me, I don't really have. But then I think it really just comes down to like, th th there is some risk, of course, associated with this, but I'm pretty sure at this point, there's really no reward for me. So like, you know, if, I, if I've shared my face on like discord calls and stuff with the boys or whatever, that's not been an issue for me. 
most you know most of the boys in the discord calls and the vendors for parts and stuff know where i live they've got my address to send me stuff so i'm i'm certainly not nearly as anonymous as most people think and so that that brings me to two forks in this conversation and i'll go for the shorter one first the uh, the first one being that you know essentially i've got no big reasons, no pressing reasons not to show my face, except for the fact that I haven't already. And I don't see really a benefit in doing it, but I could identify maybe some risks or hazards in doing it. And so for that reason, until there's until there's some benefit to me showing my face, it's probably not gonna. But you know, having my name attached to stuff, I guess I'm not, or name or address attached to stuff, I'm not as worried because you know, some, some vendors in the community have that already. So that's, that's not that big of an issue to me. Yeah. And the second fork in that conversation would be that I do realize that even if you do have you know, more information about you out there, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will end up knowing it. So uh, my, my, my story there is that uh, for a while in the community, it, it was all started by one guy who like, doesn't like me for some reason, like the, 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 the little, the, the, the pretty girls don't get along or whatever. <laughs> so there's one guy in the community who had a problem with me for this, that, or the other reason, but decided to start a rumor that, uh, I led a white nationalist hate group in Eastern Europe that I'm the leader of it. I've orchestrated the whole thing. And anytime you donate for the development of 3D printed guns, you're you're putting guns in the hands of Nazis or something. I don't know. The, their evidence for this was literally nothing. <laughs> so that was that was kind of alarming. But what I realized is that in the absence of clear information, people will just make stuff up. And to some extent, that sort of spreads around. So I've I've seen multiple people assume that I'm in Russia. <laughs> again with no evidence i've never claimed that i'm in russia I, I picked ivan as like a funny name because in in 2016 2017 like everybody was doing the whole oh, oh uh, uh, uh trump bad because russian bots and so if you get on the internet with like a name like ivan i think i thought it was funny because like oh, oh i'll be a russian troll bot because that's funny and so that sort of stuck for for that reason but like i guess i've, I've talked about publicly before i you know i am of ukrainian descent at some rate i guess it's only 1 16th or 32nd or whatever but it's modern day Ukraine, but at the time was Poland because between World War One and Two, there was a lot of maps that got redrawn in a hurry and then re-redrawn. But you know, I've got ancestry from that part of the world, so I guess it sort of felt fitting to me to just like pick that name. So uh, there's there's like a, a wealth of like not real information that ends up being out there. And so I, I imagine the fact that some people thought I was actually in in Russia or Europe or somewhere over there was like a seed that planted the whole crazy conspiracy that, okay, I'm somehow a wignot from the Fundicate groups in Eastern Europe. Like, I guess that makes sense. But you know, even, even if more information were out there about me, I feel like I'd, you'd still run into like people who just make up the weirdest stories to you know, explain you know, little tidbits about you. And of course, it's interesting to see people just be so fabulously wrong about you. But I've even seen a little bit of that about, about PSR. And so, you know, people saying, well, you know, like people like, no, like, oh, maybe he's got this other real identity. And then people saying, like, he can't share his other real identity because this, that or the other thing. Or I saw one person who who surmised he was on 4chan, of course, like the all only intelligent thoughts allowed on, on, on K. But there was one guy who decided that PSR can't show his face because he's a convicted felon. And so he, he's just showing all the other convicted felons how you can make guns. And that's that's what all of what PSR is, is it's a it's a high level convicted felon op. That that's a really high IQ take. That's, <laughs> it's it's. Oh, it's I mean, it's it's I'm, a take straight out of fortune. I'll give you that. But uh, yeah. Well, you know, so, I mean, everyone knows I'm actually an ATF agent. So right, of course. <laughs> Christ, no people. 
I, I feel like that's a huge thing that people have to get through their heads, which is when you're covering your face or trying to stay anonymous, because like I don't post my face either. Like anyone with any senses already found out who I am. Anyone who's in law enforcement who really needs to know who I am has found who all of us are. Like this, I don't see the point of putting myself in danger or even just like at inconvenience from random people because random people can be the best, but they can also be the fucking worst. Yeah. Like, uh, God, I, I don't even remember you, you talking about like when you lived at your parents' place, um, like while you're in school, that reminded me of something that happened like right around or after high school, I had this girl online, um, just, she, she was just like a Facebook friend bet. And this is like a decade ago. I've heard this story. I think you told me, really? I think, I... uh, some goth, goth chick, uh, Oh, maybe not. Maybe with, with this is this isn't the one where you randomly like ran it. No, no, no. This is a different story. I'm sorry. I, I'm so curious. Which which? No, story? no, no. Well, I was thinking about the one with with the guy that that said he was going to show up with the shoddy. Oh yeah, no, d- different story. Okay, different I'm sorry. Story. My bad. Didn't uh, this, this girl? Sorry. I think she uh, she ha- she had a little bit of a a crush or something, and like she she lived in like Georgia or something, and you know me me up in East Coast Canada. I I, I got crazy vibes one day, and we just stopped talking. And th- this is like. Yeah, right out of high school. This is what you do. You just, you know, talk to people online, I guess. And she hated that. And she doxxed me, put me on the internet. And like, I had weirdos calling my parents' house at like one o'clock in the morning asking like vulgar questions. And like, they, they got bored after a day, but she just like made up a reason for, you know, 4chan to raid me or whatever. And it was, it was annoying. It was very annoying, you know, uh, it's things like that they're like not necessarily you know oh someone's going to show up on my door with a gun or like it's just stupid dumb inconveniences because the higher profile you are online the more likely something like that is to happen and like what happened with with ivan someone's like oh yeah he's funding nazis like there's no rhyme or reason (laughs) to it some people are just fucking stupid and there's no way to avoid all those people other than like make it a little harder for them i guess right yeah, and I guess I, the, the the long and short of it then to, to sort of conclude all of my thoughts is uh, there's absolutely valid reasons for people to want to be anonymous and probably defaulting to anonymity is probably the smartest move because unless you have something to gain by putting your face out there, your address out there, your name out there, why? You know, just, just from a standpoint of OPSEC or PERSEC, you should default to why share something that's not going to help you in any measurable way. But uh, the the notion or suggestion by some people, Rob Pincus, that you should <laughs> just de- you should default to sharing all of your information out there because like, bro, nothing bad's gonna happen, bro. Like, you know, Pincus's entire thing is he's like a social media person, right? He he makes his he makes his money off of being a self defense instructor or or whatever else, like a, a shooting instructor. Like, his his brand and image is the only thing that keeps him profitable. So yeah, ha- having that having yourself be out there is important because if you don't, you're not making any progress. But of course, he's not he's not in the position where like he has he'd have to worry about weirdos showing up and like harassing his kids or he's not he's just not in that sort of a position. And albeit you know, he's made the point that, yes, it's an unlikely scenario, but there is still some possibility. And if somebody had literally nothing to gain by sharing their face or address or uh, name publicly on the Internet, the, the suggestion that they, they should or else they're not like not a man or they're not a tough guy is just stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's frankly just on its face stupid, and per- perhaps to some extent it's like blustering or projection because he realizes that 
you know, uh, you know this, you know, the anonymity thing works so well for other people, and maybe people who have put themselves out there and have come to regret it, or for whatever reason are envious of the people who haven't done that. Uh, you, you you try to decry them as like not being a man because they're not stupid, which is a, a startling admission of what you think manliness is. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's so dumb, man. It's so dumb. And uh, see, it doesn't take harder. Like we recorded with uh, Lucas from T-Rex Arms last week. Right. And, uh, that episode went up and um, he has the uh, like we, we, we post every time there's an episode and the comments in there. And, you know, I, I, I like the guy. We, we've talked with him a couple times, but the comments are like, oh, if Lucas isn't a pussy, we'll we'll go fight him. Like, oh, meet me here, you know. Like, oh, I'm, he needs the shit beat out of him and I'm going to do it and all sorts of stuff like that. And it's fucking weird. A lot of people will, you know, take a random stranger they see online and they will like wish or try and enact violence on them or at the very yep. least, you know, put things up. And it's it's for, you know, in, in some cases there's a reason and in most cases there's not. And there's almost never a justification, but it's an, insane to me to, to see things mm. like that. It's like, oh, well, I don't like your opinions, so I'm going to beat you up. It's very like childish and unfortunately you can't always avoid those people and they're you know not always wearing a badge they're sometimes just random fucking hooligans keyboard warriors man yeah and there's i mean a force if if we're familiar if we're i mean given the fact that there there are people out there even even people who should be ideologically aligned with you insofar as they're they're also like they're in the community right it's not like some fringe figure in the community it was a, a relevant figure in the community decides that decides to make up some story and then prod, broadcast publicly the story that like oh you're you know this person's leading a neo-nazi hate group like if your real name is attached to that and somebody ends up like telling i don't know friends or family or like th- this rumor gets attached to your real person not yeah. only could that just be slightly inconvenient like of, of course if i was actually a leader of a neo-nazi group my job would be gone in a hurry you know, probably something where like in this in this day and age, police can be sent to your door just for those allegations being made against you. So like it's absolutely something that can happen and can be damaging. So to put one more nail in, in, in this coffin of like, oh, you should just put all your stuff out there because what's the worst that'll happen? Like uh, <laughs> you end up you know, having your do- job endangered or police come to your house and you get questioned because you know, people who should be, you know, even somebody who's ideologically aligned with you is willing to make up insane stories about you to, to, to I guess, you know, lessen your credibility or cause trouble for you. I mean, then think about what people who actually hate you, who have some reason to, to, to come out and get you, think about what the stories that they'd be willing to spin are. So it's uh yeah. certainly certainly if there's no real reason for you to be public there's no shame there's you're not less a man for being anonymous if if anything you're you're smarter for it yeah yeah and it's I like think, people forget yeah. swatting is a thing too and oh that yeah, yeah. that's yeah. scary shit i i was gonna say too that also the power of like just a google search and what comes up first you know if if somehow some news you know organization ran with that Right. And they, they published that. And then when you searched your name, that's what came up. Even if it wasn't true and that stayed online, I mean, that can be devastating. Absolutely. On, on that note, uh, I would just like to quickly throw this out there. Fuck Sky News. <laughs> fuck Sky News for real. <laughs> it's smoke. Fuck Sky News. Yeah. No, fuck them. Yeah, that, that, uh, that piece was, was a little uh, 
a little unfortunate, but I've moved on from it. And um, I actually, I actually had a good, good kind of online correspondence with the reporter. And I think we ended it with a, with a, it's, it's always good in my opinion to, to end on good terms and rather than holding grudges, if you can, you know, yeah. in the, especially in like the online space, we've never met the person. Um, so yeah, that's all I'll say. But yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. And like, I, while I will, will say that I, I think people should be able to download the files for free everywhere. I wish I could post it, the URL to the files in my YouTube. You know, that was my main kind of, un, uh, that was why I got upset was cause it's just like, that's my YouTube's my like bread and butter right, release right now. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, no more need to talk about the sky news piece, but I did a little reaction video and it's on YouTube. Anyway, I, I saw that that was uh disappointing. Like what you can't really expect more from journalists, but at the same time, it's still disappointing when it happens at this point. Yeah. It's, it's made me kind of, yeah, get that, get that mindset. So not going to yeah. make that mistake. again. <laughs> I can't blame you. Yeah. Luckily my real name wasn't attached to it. Yeah. Thank <laughs> fuck. There, there you go. There, there is a benefit. Did, yeah, I don't uh, even know if the Sky News reporter did that much research. I don't think any of the reporters have done that much. I research. don't think they've done any research at all. They, they don't. They just assume there's no yep. way I would have my name out there. And now this is going to start a whole group of people probably going to to, to look for me. But it's, I while I do completely agree with you, Ivan, yeah, it's probably best to keep it private. I knew that at some point there was no way that I was going to be able to keep it completely um, because I have this other, you know, persona that's not very big. We're talking small, micro internet niche, yeah. whatever. Z-list internet celebrity. Z-list internet <laughs> celebrity, if that. Um, I did think, you know, it's probably inevitable that someone will find out. And, you know, I, I can I can do this as like, it's like a little bit of a, a cover, but you know, for the most part, it's like, I'm, I'm already out there. My, my name is already out there. So yeah, just going to try to keep it a little separate. Yeah. Just as long as it's far enough away that the random wackos can't get their hands on it. I think. So I, I see the comments on like some people have really put themselves out there. Like, yeah, Lucas, uh, Drew Hopkins, uh, Thumb, all, all of them. And just the comments and the shit that they get. All the I time. feel like Lucas. Lucas gets a lot, and a while lot. I don't, while I don't share uh, a lot of his, um, I guess like political or ideological opinions. Yeah, likewise. I do. I do think. Um, I do think as like a creator, like you said. Yeah, I mean, he has the right to put out what he wants to put out, and if you disagree yeah. with it, so what? Leave it in the comments. But like the the threats and all that, and yeah, and a lot of people weird. I notice, yeah, talking about is like physique and. And you know, always like it's it's just kind of it's just low, you know. It's like yeah. a low bar. But what do you expect from the internet, I suppose? And when you do come out there with opinions like he does, yeah. I guess that is something. You know, I think like I was kind of thinking about this, like if who who's on the other side of the spectrum, and I think about Carl from InRange TV. <laughs> and, like I, I like Carl. I, I, I never like, thought I, about that. That's spot on. And it's oh, like Lucas is like the opposite of Carl, but they both put out their opinions in very very clear well very yeah loud ways they they wave the flag of their opinions loudly and um, whether you agree or disagree with either of those creators they do get a lot of they it, it's very inflammatory uh yeah 
yeah. content and responses. I feel like a lot of people, like, they project their personalities under the people they see online. And, like, a simple solution to a lot of that, I think, is just, like, go outside and touch grass and maybe, like, eat better food and exercise. And just, like, don't be a dick. Yes. And, yeah, and that's a great... Gun. Yeah. And yeah, print, print a gun. gun. Print a gun. And it's therapeutic. It, it's, it, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it, it's fucking tiring. And also, like, you can follow people online and creators who, you know, do cool stuff and you don't have to agree with them. Like, you can you can like someone, respect someone and not agree with everything they have to say. And Completely. Completely. I've kind of tried to avoid put, putting my own personal political opinions and beliefs out on the Internet for that very reason, though. I just try yeah. to keep it. I do share some, you know, some thoughts and, and things about certain issues whether it's on a podcast or whatever but yeah. i try to keep it pretty it's kind of funny i just saw that like well this music video that i put out uh the hk slap one oh i, I love that I saw, well it was funny because yeah. uh i saw well like not to use again using carl as an example but like he he like shared it on his youtube and and was like you know this is great and then like at the same time so uh, it wasn't my music video, but like Infowars shared my footage. <laughs> and, and it's just like, if you, if you can get those two, uh, like people into the content, like, or the, not Infowars isn't a person, but you yeah. know, it's like a, a whole sector of media that's like very opposite oh, of Carl. Yeah. Uh, and if both of them can, can like get something out of my content, then I feel like I'm succeeding in, in some capacity. God, that is incredible. I want to get Alex Jones on here. Just one yeah. one day, just I, I just, I just I just want to see what happens. I don't even know what the hell I talk to him about. It's like oh, they're turning the frogs gay, and that that's basically like you get some good sound bites for sure. Yeah, no, he he just seems like he'd be fun to talk to. Um, I I don't really have anything for or against the guy. He just seems interesting, and that, you know I, I like interesting people. I did it again. I I had a thought go through my head, and it just like fell out. It just like I, I opened my mouth and all of everything just like dribbled onto the floor. Fuck. What you just did you said do for the, fun? Sorry. Yeah. No, no, I just said you just said the, the Canadian. You said oat. Oh. I'm sorry. Hey. I sorry. No, I just had to I, No, it's okay. I, I had to comment on it and just and just say that was a moment when I realized I I forgot for a sec, but yes, you are Canadian. Dude, I, I'm I'm a very not Canadian Canadian. Well, I know that, but you have your your accent. You know, a lot of people yeah, say that, that doesn't go anywhere. I have a Canadian accent. Sometimes people think that because really? I grew up very close to the Canadian border. That actually makes sense. Uh, you, you already doxed it, Vermont. Uh, that's super close. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. I grew up in in fifteen minutes from the border. So oh shit, I'm with you, brother. Uh, a yeah. Hey, how's <laughs> right. a boot that? Oh yeah, a boot and that oat. Yeah, All right. I'm oh. sorry. So, so go go forward. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, dude, you you designed a fucking three D printed AK, and I love those. Yeah, Just like that is incredible. Are there any uh, other designs that you want to kind of share with us that you may or may not be working on? I, I saw your PPK. I, I know that didn't really. Uh, <laughs> that was like that was cursed one. as fuck. I loved it. I guess like some design highlights. Well, I guess the AK, a, a, a couple design highlights, and then fun stories to go with them. So the AK was uh fun because like the whole reason the whole impetus for doing it was because there's a lot of people who were like 
I guess every time you'd open a Reddit thread about 3D printed guns, people would be like, oh, well, you can print AR-15 lowers because there's no stress on the lower, but you could never print an AKM receiver because way too much stress on the receiver. It'd be, <laughs> impo- it'd be impossible. And like this was just like a prevailing thing. And I'd probably read this like 20, 30 times. And then the uh, the guys over at DNO Firearms, I think he's – his name is Eric. I forget his last name. They showed off – like he, he's got an AK – base design it's not an akm by any means but it requires a lot of modification to ak parts so it's sort of a proprietary design but his receiver is meant for aluminum but he printed one in nylon and it worked pretty well and so like he showed that off and then people were like well 3d printed ak but then they realized like you can't buy any of the parts for these guns because he's busy trying to spin up a company and he's not you're certainly not going to be selling parts kits because the parts would only work with his guns so he's he'll be selling his receivers and his parts together as guns eventually but he just printed it as, a, as an experiment but then sort of seeing that sort of set the gears in motion and it was again me and me and fdma uh sort of uh spitball back and forth like what what would we need to accomplish here and so we eventually settled on we think we can get away with like an actual true to form akm receiver and it'll require zero modifications or material removing from from factory parts kit so there's no drilling there's no tapping there's no cutting off charging handles and welding them back on none of this stuff so that was what we wanted to start out doing is something where you essentially just drop a headspace AK kit into it and then shoot it. And it would require no alterations to the part that would prevent you from then taking those parts and putting them in a proper build. So the so the whole impetus for that, again, was one of these things where like people were like, well, you can't do it. And then and then we sort of did it just to prove that you could. And again, like the first time I showed off the first one on Reddit, everybody was like, oh, rest in peace, your face. The locking lugs will blow up in the head, AK <laughs> headspace, headspace, and then it'll blow up. And like just a bunch of people like shouting headspace and, and sentry arms and headspace over and over again in the comments, like without knowing you know, any of what they're saying. Because yeah. of course, in an AKM, that's not even a relevant thing. But there was a, a lot of like a lot of not understanding it, but eventually people sort of got it massaged into their brains. And unfortunately uh, that backslipped a lot when uh, Brandon Herrera did his test of the Plastikov. He, uh, Oh yeah. He, he had a out of spec rails, didn't he? Well, so he was sent rails and then sent very deliberate instructions that were like, these rails need to be fit. These are like, you need to make a bend here, a bend here and a bend here in order to make things work. And uh, that discussion was like three months prior to him actually getting the rails. And when he got the rails, he'd forgot that. And when he was putting the gun together, he didn't read any of the documentation because the documentation, of course, reiterated how all that had to happen with pictures and stuff. But he then skipped doing that. And then so it's essentially like if you built an AK traditionally, but you didn't use any actual property of riveting tools. And also you didn't use any jigs to like spot weld the rails into the receiver. You just went at it and freehanded the whole thing. And so, of course, it works about as well as you expect. In fact, it worked better than I would expect for for an AK with a printed receiver that you didn't even try to put together. So that, that didn't that didn't work great, of course. And so, you know, lots of people saw that video, and so public perception of that afterwards was like, "Oh, the printed AK doesn't actually work." But it seems like most people by now have, you know, from one avenue or another, seen my videos. I think one that changed a lot of people's mind was when I I did the RPK parts kit in this printed receiver, and then put a drum mag in it and just tore through the whole drum as fast as I could. And then a bunch of people were like, "Oh, it, it actually works." And I was like, "Yes, it's always actually worked. It's just a thing where." Like like any gun you build, and, and perhaps it's a it's a lesson, right? It's like any gun you build is only as good as you build it. So yeah, printed Glock frames work great with a little asterisk, and the asterisk is if you just randomly throw the parts in there and like, oh, I'm just not going to put the rear rails in it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's not going to work. 
So <laughs> congratulations. So yeah, there's there's sort of a lot of that that surrounds that. Um, that was a really long one fun fact about the Plastikov. Can I, no, can that, I that's say, yeah, the RPK is so sick. But oh, it is really nice. dude, I, it's the one pers- that you like. Is it like it's like fake light kind of? Yeah, so I, I printed the receivers in orange. There was this guy by the name of Ferret Pass who was like really involved in the printed gun stuff, but then stepped away because uh, he he had some some issue, but then sort of got bored of the whole printing gun stuff. But he developed a technique where you print a part in orange and then you take Rust-Oleum black cherry wood stain and sort of like dab it on there with a paintbrush, and it sort of looks like Bakelite. Not, oh. it's not it's not quite perfect but it's pretty darn close and so i did a receiver in that and i mean it it turned out looking really really nice it's Fake so light. cool it's so cool and the in the the uh dust cover is also done and yeah printed, the, the, the right? dust cover is also printed and then also finished with this fake light technique and so it, it it does look it does look pretty cool and i think that that one you know that was one of those videos where like i posted it on twitter and then other people are posting it on reddit and then other people are put like i, I get sent links to my gun from facebook groups people have shared it in and i'm like ah. people people have shown me this thing like oh look somebody somebody built the, the plastic off with an rpk kit and i was like yeah that's 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 me that's me <laughs> that's, that's, that's me yeah that's cool if you're listening right now you should go check out ivan's youtube and check out this rpk because it's one of the coolest 3d printed guns i've i've ever come across and you've got the bipod on there yeah and the drum mag and the stock too is like an rpk stock right uh, that the stock that's on that one in the video I, was one that i printed oh. and it, it's because like the rpk stock is normally too short and i didn't understand why until i went and shot one at mm. first i thought it was just like oh russians are all malnourished and tiny ha 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 <laughs> or, or or the thing where it's like oh they'd be shooting with body armor on and so they want the stock short to account for like the two inches of extra length width your your chest is going to have but then i realized the stock is so short on that thing because it's insanely front heavy like it's goofy front heavy how heavy mm. the front of that gun is because it's a massive bull barrel that's like 23 inches long. Holy it's shit. more front. It's more front heavy than like 30 odd six bull barrel hunting rifles that have polymer stocks. Where like the gun just wants to point at the ground. Like they, they put the bipod on there, and that's for a reason. You're not really meant to shoot it standing up. You can, but you can tell by the way the gun balances. They weren't really concerned about that. So what I wanted to do is put a 3D printable stock that could then take. The, uh, an M14 butt plate that has the shoulder thing that goes up on it. So like the way to fold <laughs> the up shoulder, shoulder thing, that thing goes up. So that way you could rest part of the weight of the gun on the top of your shoulder. And so I ended up printing that and it worked really well, but it ended up making the length of length of pull of the gun huge because you have like M16 length length of pull plus the M14 butt plate on there. So the I length of pull it. on it ended up being big and then you it just sort of accentuates the how front heavy the gun is the further out in front of you you put it. So it was super comfortable but then one of the things where it's like you you need like like, like an M249 or an M240 like you have to have a lot of upper body strength to even hold the thing still to you know in order to keep it pointed in the right direction just because of how ridiculously front heavy and unwieldy the thing is and then of course it makes sense why they have bipods because you're just not meant to shoot it standing up that makes a whole lot of sense but it looks so cool it almost looks like it's made out of wood like the yeah, whole it, the, 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 the fake light finish almost evokes wood and i think it's because the color came out almost the exact same as the factory wood furniture on it yeah i'm looking at it right now it's that's it's fucking sick. awesome it's so cool. Same. I thought one of the reasons when I first ran, came across you as a person, like as an internet 3D printing gun personality, I thought, because I think the first thing I was introduced to was the Plastikoff and like outside of the FGC9. And I was like, oh, is this guy Russian? 
because he's got the <laughs> AKs. Yeah. I was like, live in the troll. And you had, I think, one of the videos, first ones I saw, you were wearing like a, a three, you know, strike yeah, tracksuit. I bought, I bought an Adidas, Adidas tracksuit, and I'm not afraid to admit I bought it just so I could take pictures with it with an AK. Don't I mean? But then it turns out like it's actually it's actually kind of comfortable and functional. So it's like, oh, this is this is why people buy this is because it's 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 not it's not because they're trying to imitate what people think they look like. It's because it's actually kind of nice. Yes. Yes. Like wow, that makes sense. I gotta print a. I gotta do a plastic off build. It just just sucks because AK kits are like AK kits are ruined at this point as far as prizes go. Because if it's not 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 import bans and. Because you know, the uh, the the Romanians have been cutting up a ton of their AKs, but they stopped cutting them up because once this whole thing kicked off with uh, Russia and Ukraine, these guns that you knew they they were that were essentially set aside so they were going to be cut up and then brought into the U.S. as parts kits didn't get cut up. They just got sent to Ukraine because now there's a bunch of people who need a bunch of guns. So the the parts kit market has you know, su- you know of course. This is a this is like the the ultimate first world problem. Like, oh god, they're getting invaded and they're taking all my stupid AKs. Oh. <laughs> but like, uh, it's true. The, the the parts of these kits have gone up astronomically as a result. You know, plus the you know, potential sanctions from Russia. Not not that you could get AK parts from Russia legally anyway, but yeah. the the whole extra sanctions on Russia plus the fact that there's that conflict kicking off has ruined the AK parts kit prices especially you know following on the end of covid everybody got into ak building it seems because the prices shot up because everybody wanted to start building their own ak's with their stimulus checks or whatever and then uh, the prices certainly will not be coming back down anytime soon well if anyone from uh, palmetto state armory is listening to this yeah um, so genius is what you need to do is sell head-spaced barrel assemblies not only will normal ak builders like that a lot you can cut into arms of america's market share because they're like the one guy's doing this competently but uh, mm. people can build funny printed AKs with your stuff too. Hey yeah, PSA, please, 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 please. Uh, and also, if anyone from High Points listening for, to this, uh, <laughs> please, start, please start selling parts kits. <laughs> wouldn't be a proper podcast about three D printing guns without trolling High Point. I'm yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, God fuck. Oh, High Point. They're fairly common up here, and they sell for way more than they're worth. Right. Like, uh, you, you can get a. Uh, <laughs> high point carbine and i hate how many of them there are for like 550 600 at your local cabela's oof yeah not great oof that's uh that's rough that's like that's like a decent mid-grade ar yeah it's a like it's a 150 dollars gun selling for triple what it should be yeah, more than triple like, sounds like california wow yep oh fuck california see what you do when you put gun control in <laughs> yeah <laughs> you just make them expensive you just make everything expensive. Yeah, there, there's like when they banned ARs here, you can still buy ARs if you have money. Just like they made like canned illegal receiver kits and they just cost uh, like $2,000 more. Wow. It sucks. Wow. But you can still it's build an AR. You just, you know. It's it's because because I just don't, when I, at that point, they should just come out and say, hey, we don't want poor people having guns. Yeah. We don't want poor people having a quote unquote assault rifles because poor people dangerous. Yeah. Not well, rich. Hey, if you you look at like New York to get a carry permit, you have to be rich and or connected. Like that's what most of the these laws are. It's just like, all right, the old dude that has money and you know, or knows the sheriff or is famous, but no matter what, has money, can get guns and the rest of you fuck you. 
your peons. Basically, yep. <laughs> so that uh, that printed PPK frame was uh, some, something that came about because like I was I ran out of projects for for like the only time it's ever happened. I was like ran out of things I was actively working on. And so I like asked on Twitter, what would you like me to build? I've got like this much of a budget, look through every gun part and then find something that'd be funny. And then one guy was like, here's a Walther PPK parts kit. I'll give you the money, buy it. And I was like, okay. So I got it. It was, it was in fantastic condition. It was a late, it was a late World War II, but before it was like last ditch. So it was like still the nice, the, the bluing that's so nice. You can see your reflection in it. A really, really good looking gun with the, with the angry chickens holding the angry windmills on them. Like the, the, the you know, desirable in that regard. But I tried making the printed frame for it, but it turns out like you know, Walther only was barely getting away with casting steel frames with those. Uh, certainly in a printed frame, it was never going to work because the trigger mechanism puts a ton of stress on the frame and the frame is only like 50 thousandths of an inch thick. And even in steel, that's not that's not very thick. So I ended up having to uh, go to my fallback plan. And my fallback plan all along had been to take an AR-15 fire control group and sort of stick that behind the gun. Like you could, because the, the cutout for the hammer is the same exact width as an AR-15 hammer. So I was like, this was intended clearly. This was designed, this, this was divined from the very beginning. And so uh, I took an AR-15 hammer, had to sort of repro-profile it with the Dremel tool to get it to sit under there. But like, sure enough, it worked great. And That's the, incredible. The, the issue with the design ended up then becoming like the, the hood on the frame that the barrel presses into is extremely thin, like 20 thousandths of an inch thick. Like there's nothing to it. And when it's steel, it works okay. But in plastic, it doesn't work great. And so what I turned to doing is like wrapping it in steel wire and then melting plastic over the steel wire to sort of make a composite structure. But getting that to be strong enough consistently is tricky. I had one frame that's still together that made it to 500 rounds and then another frame that broke at 10 with that reinforcement because it's hard to get the steel wire tight and all this. So I ended up like backburnering that project because I don't I don't have a good way around that consistency. I'll probably revisit it one day and just use some sort of like a machined insert that you can put in the yeah. frame that holds the barrel on but for now it's it's just sort of on the back burner but that that project ended up being like because it looks terrible right it's got the ar-15 fire it control looks group wonderful like, i disagree the, <laughs> the second pistol grip sort of like superposed behind the normal pistol grip on the thing and like a lot of people saw that and then it got shared on like the course gun images which at first i thought was funny but after like the millionth time your gun's been on there it's like okay guys i, I get it like you don't like it okay and then people <laughs> will send it to me like especially after the the, the ppk I probably got sent probably 20 times, 30 times in one week, people being like, ha ha, they think your gun's bad. And I'm like, that's nice. But I'm like, like every other cursed gun, like doesn't actually work or it's like somebody's Photoshop and like, yeah, well, this, this thing, actually like, works and you made it in your house. <laughs> this, thing, like, this thing works like frighteningly well. Like there was a video where like, I, I figured I would like shoot it at 50 yards just to joke like, oh yeah, I'm going to shoot this like subcompact thing that's now like bigger than a com bigger than a full-sized handgun i'm gonna shoot it at 50 yards one-handed but it's like surprisingly accurate and decent with the ar-15 trigger and so i, you know, I hit hit the seal target like six times out of seven at 50 yards and i was like oh oh <laughs> shit this actually doesn't suck and Just so new uh, concealed carry right <laughs> it's, it's the ideal concealed carry because you get the the anemic power of 32 acp and the size of a full-size handgun <laughs> <laughs> with seven round capacity, yeah. mind you, it's what everybody's after. It's wonderful. Oh my God. And so you know, that 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 project was like became the thing where like I got annoyed with people doing the the course gun, ha ha ha. 
because yeah. it, it got old very quickly. But uh, the 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 design there, where you put the AR-15 fire control group behind a pistol slide, was something that then I realized after the PPK, like this could go anywhere. And I, first, I was gonna like maybe do it on the high power frame. But eventually I was like, yeah, but the high power just as a pistol already works so well. And I'm just going to stick with that because I want my development to stay focused there on the high power. And even yeah. still, the high power frame has been in development for like two years because I keep finding one thing to tweak or one slight thing to improve or small updates here or there. And I've probably driven Riptide Rails, the rail vendor, crazy because I'm always like, can you change this? Add a chamfer here, countersink this hole slightly, so oversize this hole just a little bit larger. I'm, I'm sure I've, at this point he's so tired of making custom tooling for me. He's like, can we just release the thing? oh is but, it not uh, released it isn't it's been in development forever because again I, I can't leave good enough alone because i just like it so much it has to be perfect on its on its initial release high so power as fuck i can't blame you it, it's it's pretty great and uh yes so, so uh, the high power didn't get a ar-15 hammered version but after the ppk there was one guy who did his uh he did a sig i think a 22 long rifle sig slide with it so i think that ah. was like it has the crown of being the second one. Like he saw what I did with the PPK and then copied it for his SIG. And that was cool. But the whole time I was brewing an evil plot to uh, do this to a gun that is cherished. It's like, it's the gun of America. It, it, it's the one that the, the, the gun that if not, if not the AK, the gun that the people have the most just completely irrational, emotional, strong, emotional feelings about. And so I got myself a couple of 1911 kits and then bided, <laughs> bided my time until until the moment was right. To and initially, I had like a single spade grip that you gripped this thing by, AR-15 fire control grouped 1911, and I was like, initially did this as like a how awful can I make this and didn't expect it to actually work. And I bought one of those 16 inch carbine 1911 barrels so I could put a stock on it. And then the first time I went and shot that, I was like. Oh my goodness, this is an incredibly good firearm. And like I was trying to explain to people on Twitter, like, okay, this looks like a shit post. And I admitted from the very beginning it's a shit post, but it weighs three and a half pounds. It shoots 45 ACP. And it's got, you know, 10 round mag capacity or whatever. I guess it's the one drawback. But as far as like backpack-ish guns go, this is like the best thing ever. And so I was, trying to convince, I was trying to convince people, like, this thing is actually fantastic. Like, if you look at other 45 ACP pistol caliber carbine offerings, like, you've got nothing that's good. Like, the Chris Vector is whatever. They have yeah, reliability it's... issues. They cost, like, $2,000. And then the only other thing is the LWRC SMG weighs, like, six and a half pounds, costs three grand, and it shoots, like, you know, barn-sized groups at 100 yards because it's got some weird issue that Grand Thumb touched, touched on in a video. But... I was like, okay, but the, you know this this 1911 thing that I built, which I dubbed the 3011. Which you know, there's people that. who there's people who own 1911s and they're very emotional about the fact. Well, theirs is never jammed and it's the best. But I found that there's an even more emotional class of people who own 2011s. You know, the double stack <laughs> double stack 1911s, and they're very emotional about the fact that their gun costs so much. But it's a 1911 that works great. Please trust them, guys. And so they're very emotional about any suggestion that there could possibly be something better than the gun that they spent three thousand dollars on and so then you're like well mine's the 3011 and uh it's a pistol caliber carbine and not a pistol anymore and they get very emotionally offended by like you're saying this is better than my 2011 what the heck bro my 2011 is this this and this and this, this, this is the best gun ever all the youtubers agree it's the best gun ever and i'm like okay bro i don't care i, yeah. I, I don't care this well, is three dollars of pla fuck off <laughs> why are you so mad about this but uh, there's there's several people who were gravely offended 
by the 3011s being named 3011. But yeah, I, I named oh it the 3011, God. and it's a you know pistol caliber carbine. Initially in 45, especially with the 16 inch barrel set up like a rifle, it's just great. It's wonderful. I love how it shoots. I think the ideal version would be if SBRs weren't regulated and suppressors weren't regulated. You have it in 45, maybe an eight inch barrel, or perhaps just a five inch barrel that's threaded that has three inches of can on it, and then set it up you know with, with an actual folding stock. It would be it would be ultimate in that regard, if you ask me. So that's incredible. Is there a uh, double stack version out yet? So that that that's that's where this that's where that's where I was heading was uh, you know, so the thirty eleven gets released and people like the release trailer and Polnar Tactical loves the release trailer. Like you know, they're they're boosting it on their YouTube. Like okay, this is awesome, and potentially there's some interest in them building one. But of course, their their gun laws are a little bit silly over there. Yeah, but you know they're they're you know, they, they can build suppressors, but maybe not guns. So they're 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 looking into that. It would seem, as last I heard, about their plans to make their own thirty eleven. But you know the thirty elevens released, but the whole time it was in development, people were like, "Make it take double stack mags. It has to take double stack mags. Double stack, double stack." And you go and look at double stack nineteen eleven mags, and like STI makes them, and it's like two hundred dollars a magazine. And I'm like, dude, I'm not spending more on my magazine, one magazine, than I spent on the whole gun. It's not going to happen. Like I guess. You know, well, people who own the for a while there, you could buy semi-auto SDG forty four. It's like the PTR forty four, I think it was called, and uh, the magazines for those were insanely expensive, like almost as much as the guns for a while. Now, now the guns end up costing like ten grand. So even though magazines cost five or six hundred, the you know, the guns are still much more expensive than them. But the uh, you know I wasn't going to be spending more on magazines than guns. Just not going to happen. So I eventually end up getting the 22 TCM slides for the standard version of the 3011. And then I realize Armscore has been making, you know, having MechGar make for them double stack 1911 mags for a long time, but you can only really find them through Armscore's website or some places where they're, you know, they're not sold as 1911 mags. And I don't know if there's some trademark thing or something that's going on there, or the fact that, you know, like, you know, Armscore's, you know, double stack 1911 frames are their own their own formula, their own design, and it doesn't take STI double stack mags. Magazines are not cross compatible, so I wonder if they avoided using the 1911 name for that reason. So people who had their double stack guns would just go and get their mags, but there wouldn't be any confusion about what mags are compatible with what. So I end up discovering like, okay, double stack mags exist, and they're like thirty dollars a magazine, like normal magazine prices, and so they make. Double stack mags for nine mil, twenty two TCM, thirty eight super, forty five ACP, forty ten mil. Essentially anything that you'd ever want a a nineteen eleven in. There's double stack mags for it. So I was like, well, now I have to. I have to make a double stack frame for it. So I've got the. I've, at this point, it's still in development, still in testing, but hopefully coming soon because it's just you know it just tweaks to the magwell area on the thirty eleven. But it'll be called the thirty eleven double stack to avoid any extra confusion. But I you, love you, that. You can have 17 rounds of 22 TCM or 9 mil in this thing. And so it weighs less than four pounds, pistol caliber carbine. It's got a locked breech. So in terms of in terms of recoil feeling in your shoulder, it shoots softer than most you know, actual straight blowback things. But the thing itself weighs four pounds. And having four pounds with 17 rounds of ammo on deck is kind of decent. That's four pounds with a brace and with a red dot and fully loaded mag. So in That's that regard, incredible. it's... In that regard, it's kind of exceptional. And so I'm hoping that maybe with the double stack, it'll help you because there's a lot of people who like see the 3011 and they just assume it's a joke. And it's like, haha, he made like a curse 1911. Won't the boomers be mad? And then I'm in the comments trying to be like, okay, but this is why you have to shoot it for this. Is, like it weighs less than a 1022 and it's spinning 45s. 
don't you see how awesome this could be? And then there's people who just like skip right over that because they're like, he's just trying to make boomers mad, which is true. That's that's part of it. That's started, but but then but then it ends up being like unironically a really really nice gun to shoot, and so especially especially when I get the opportunity to shield 22 TCM and the 3011 at the same time, I really have to hammer on the fact that like 22 TCM in the 3011 is just an extremely extremely good combination because it's effectively you know 22 TCM is like 57 in that it's recoilless because in terms of bolt thrust there is almost none because it's while it's a, while it's moving fast the bullet itself weighs nothing and because we're looking at momentum for for this physics problem and not muzzle energy there's almost no momentum there at all because of because of the lightweight of the bullet and so the gun shoots super soft it weighs four pounds fully loaded it's it's a very a very handy super nice backpack gun or you know, whatever else I'm, I'm not i'm not particularly fond of the truck gun idea in general but i guess if you wanted to truck gun it wouldn't be terrible for that you know barring of course if it got too hot and you printed it in pla if you printed it in a better material it'd be maybe good as a truck gun if you're a truck gun person but like a, it's, i've gone on like many many hikes uh you know with this gun and it's a perfect little hiking gun it's you know it's the ranch gun concept the ranch rifle concept where you're going to be carrying the gun more than you're going to be shooting the gun so it's got to be lightweight and sort of handy in that regard but when it comes time to shoot it it still has to be somewhat capable and with ranch some, rifle. Uh, some variants where someone has uh added a uh, monolithic upper that kind of shields the and that i like i i like that a lot the idea of having as opposed to using the iron sights of the 1911 and ha- having a, a monolithic chassis that you can mount an optic to or something like that. And I think that bridges the gap between like a really capable PCC and obviously it's already a really capable PCC and doesn't really need that, but, but it, it doesn't make people look at it and go, ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, which fuck people, you know, if it goes bang <laughs> every time and it works, right. then screw it. Like it can look like whatever the hell, as long as it works. And it sounds like it, you have a use case for it and it works really well. But, so that's, that's another yeah. uncanny observation that I've made in the 3011, especially like throughout the testing of it is like a lot of the times, especially newer builders when they're building stuff, they just run into like some issues where their gun, you know, this, that, or the other thing about the gun needs to be tweaked before it runs right. And for whatever, like, doggone stupid reason with a 3011 it just runs so ridiculously reliably for everybody who's built one it's like frighteningly so like 3d print in general's new to guns in general like you know he got into guns because he was into 3d printing and saw 3d printed guns which is kind of a cool thing but you know he had issues getting his first glock running he got issues running getting his printed glock mags running just because he was sort of coming up to speed where he had a great body of knowledge in 3d printing but didn't really understand the gun side of things, the building gun side of things quite yet. And then he goes and builds his 3011s and puts like 300 rounds through it in the day without a single issue. And it's like, it reinforced what I had really seen in the, in the beta testing of the design is like, nobody's having any functioning cycling reliability issues with this. And that's bizarre because it's, you know, at its core, it's a 1911. And like, I'm, I'm certainly no stranger to the fact that, and in fact, I've harped on this multiple times, a similar situation to like the bunch of guys at FN sitting around a table where they're like, how awful can we possibly make this and go like Browning had a good design with the swinging link system when it was two swinging links. And then he sold this design to Colt. And then over the years, Colt designed, you know, from that patent, the 1911 and they deleted the front swinging link, but they didn't design a new magazine for the gun. And so the magazine's designed to feed straight into a barrel that tips, you know, that sits down. It doesn't tip down. It just falls down. 
And because the single link gives you a tipping barrel, it feeds rounds straight into the frame because the barrel doesn't fall down. It just sort of tips a little bit. So it bounces rounds off of the frame to throw them up into the barrel at the feed angle in the 1911. And I am positive. I am positive. Of course, no evidence. This is just because just, just because having designed a 1911 frame and looked at this, there's, there's no other explanation for this. It's because they had designed the magazines, didn't want to redesign the magazines, from the falling version of the gun and they just got it to the point where it would work and were like, well, there you go. It works. And then they went and showed it to the army and the army had been, they'd been back and forth to the army, like with three different guns at this point. And the army was like, this meets our criteria. And they're like, Oh, okay. We're going to put it into production then. And they didn't feel a need to change it. And of course the, the root of all reliability issues with like these with cheaper 1911s is the fact that when they go to try and feed or new 1911s feeding hollow points especially when it goes to try and feed it's relying on the round nose of the bullet bouncing the round up off the frame to get it so the round is lined up with the the barrel meanwhile with, you know with, with glocks this does happen to some extent only it's happening with a feed ramp that's permanently attached to the barrel so you know the barrel can't move independently of the feed ramp because they're connected then. And like if you look at a Glock's feed angle and then the angle the barrel tilts down to, as far as the cartridge presentation angle in the magazine, the, the round is almost pointed straight at the chamber. Meanwhile, with something like a uh, – with the 1911, the round is pointed straight underneath the chamber. So – and I'm sure the reason that happened is like I said because – on the early versions of the guns, it did point straight at the chamber, and then they never bothered to change it because the army didn't tell them to, which is, I believe, then the crux of all the 1911s reliability issues and all of its storied issue, its storied trouble, is because because of that. Now that that makes sense, though. Where, where you know Colt could make the one or you know couple guns that worked really well, and when sticking to those you know those patterns, like of course the Colt 1911s, especially the early ones, are incredibly reliable guns. They won't feed hollow points like most cheap 19 you know most early 1911s and most 1911s with without ramped barrels won't feed hollow points but you know they were reliable because while it wasn't really a great design in er, as far as early auto loading handguns go it wasn't a bad design yeah everything used ball ammo too right and and certainly it was made obsolete by the time the the high power rolled around because you know the high power fixed this problem it has a round that presents straight at the chamber and it has a barrel that has a ramp permanently attached to it so even if the round tries to nosedive it nosedives into a part of the barrel and you know that will then push the barrel forward somewhat against whatever the locking geometry is but the feed ramp still moves with the barrel when that happens where the 1911 doesn't have that happening which is why 1911s that have feed issues it's always this now, as far as 1911 ejection issues, that's that's just sort of the 1911 and its ejection port and a number of other things. But the, you know, the 1911 is sort of cursed with these. You know, at the time, sure, it was it was great, but by by the end of World War One, there were there were better options, better designs, and things about the 1911 that could or should have been improved, and simply weren't. And so I feel it. Like- Sorry, so, I, so, so I like to make fun of all of these aspects, and then the thirty eleven goes on to work great, despite the fact that it you know it still has these issues in common. It's not like I was able to correct these things, and then it, it just manages to work pretty well. So I, I made does. a lot of <laughs> so I made a lot of posts where it's like, uh, yeah, this will never be more reliable than nineteen eleven, and then through all the testing, it runs great, and I'm like, well, okay, that's kind of frustrating because people ended up proving me wrong, but like in a good way. I feel like I've learned a lot about both 22 TCM and the <laughs> geometry of 1911s through this. I, can, I, can I feel go on enriched. and on about 1911s. They, uh, j- just having to like design one aspect of a frame or redesign it for 3D printing, you uncover a lot of the things where it's like, 
I think I know why you did this. And it's because you were lazy and trying to cut corners. And the army said the corners you cut were fine. That actually tracks. Has, hasn't someone figured out like a, uh, like an actual 1911. Well, I mean, yours is an actual frame, but an actual handheld, you know, grip uh, magazine in the grip 1911 frame. I think I saw one a couple for, of for printed ago. ones. Yeah. The, yes. and, and I've, I've done quite a bit of testing with it. It's got some, some distance to go. Of course, the, the 1911's design is sort of there at the turn of the century where like interchangeable parts had been figured out, but nobody really knew. Nobody knew a lot about how, how milling machines were supposed to be used for interchangeable parts to make things efficiently. So there's a lot of stuff on the 1911 where it, given the technology at the time from a manufacturing engineering standpoint, totally could have been done a lot better. But I think it's just because everybody was still sort of figuring this out and you know, my, my compliments to John Browning himself, you, we, we, you, no, no end. He was certainly a genius for his time, but I think that he was a good firearms designer, certainly better than most. But what really made him shine through is he was a genius manufacturing engineer because what he'd do is he'd you know, come up with these patents and then bring the patents to the companies and be like, I'll tell you how to make a gun with this patent if you let me sell some of the guns and also I get some of the profit of the guns that you sell. And he managed to make a crazy successful gun company that barely made any guns because most of what Browning has ever done is import guns or sell guns that somebody else made. I didn't and actually so, know any of that. So Browning never made a high power. They were all made by FN. Huh. And huh. so uh, are they re-releasing it? Yes, but it's oh no, but it's, it's kind of like weird oh, and no. oh no, uh, we'll get into that. Fire. We'll get into that in one moment. <laughs> but to quickly wrap up, the I think Browning was a manufacturing genius, but nobody knew what they were doing there, sort of at the turn of the century. So the 1911 has some things on it that were like. Like it wasn't good to be making guns out of steel in this way. And so especially when you try and convert those to plastic, like it's really not a good design for plastic. So there's a lot of growing pains that design will need. And it'll certainly need to be more outside the box than I took a 1911 slide and an AR-15 hammer and it works. Yeah, but, uh, which oh God, is hilarious. The, uh, the new FN high power, or as I like to call it, the lie power. So Springfield Armory brings the high power back, right? They bring it back first. Uh, and it's essentially a one-to-one copy of the gun. There's like some some small tweaks to it, but it takes high power parts, right? It is, you know, if, if you think about what makes a gun a gun, like what what would make an a what would make like an M1 Garand an M1 Garand? What would use an M1 Garand's bolt? It'd use an M1 Garand's furniture. It'd have an M1 Garand op rod. It would take M1 Garand on block clips, right? That's a, that's just what it would do. If you had a gun that took none of those things and did none of those things, would it be an M1 Garand? No. If you named it the M1 Grand, would it be an M1 Grand? Still no. And so uh, you may be you may be familiar with the Browning Auto 5, the greatest shotgun ever. Again, a John Browning flex. In 1889, he designs the best shotgun ever, and then he's just like, eh, okay. Uh, you know, it's no big deal. You know, before, before the turn of the last century, he's designed the best shotgun ever. Even by today's standards, it's a relatively competent, decent shotgun. Uh, you know, if a little bit complex to manufacture with modern standards, you know, at the time, again, his manufacturing genius knew no bounds. Using you know, the you know, last turn of this turn of last century manufacturing technology, it was a really, really good design. And so they stopped making it, the Browning Auto 5 in the 90s because by 90s, by the time you have CNC machining, you've gotten to the point where machines in machine time are cheaper than paying somebody to watch the machine. 
And so that means that the Browning Auto 5 is no longer economical to make because it was designed whenever the total opposite of that was the case. Our machines were expensive and labor was dirt cheap. Huh. So it's no longer economical to make. So Browning sunsets it because you know the Auto 5 costs more than you know whatever the Benelli inertia guns are, the Beretta gas op guns are. Yeah, so now they clone the Benellis for dirt, dirt, dirt cheap. Right. And so the, the Auto 5s had sort of died off. And so they end up bringing the Auto 5 back. Only if you look at the new Auto 5, which they dubbed, so this is another, this is again the point of my contention. People called the Auto 5 the A5 for the longest time. That was just the name they sort of gave to it because you know, it's a shortened of Auto 5. So Browning goes and remanufactures the Auto 5 and they call it the A5. Now you'd think this gun would like maybe take A5 mag tubes or A5 bolts, but maybe it would even have the same operating mechanism as the A5, right? It doesn't. It has zero parts compatibility. It's not a long recoil shotgun. It's inertia operated. So again, it's like sort of a clone of the Benelli system. It's it doesn't it doesn't have anything in common with the Auto Five at all except the name that they stole. And so luckily, the gun did not sell very well because like if, if you're you know they ended up they probably came in at an MSRP of like thirteen hundred bucks. So it's more expensive than the Benellis or the Berettas. As far as like a you know semi-auto self-loading shotgun, and as far as the collectors are concerned, it's not an Auto Five at all. Why would they ever want one? So it sort of flops, and so you can now find them much cheaper than that MSRP because they you know they ended up not being able to move nearly as many as they made because it was not the success they hoped for. So this this is you would, you would assume that after seeing this happen, FN would say, "Huh, we're looking at re-releasing something that we stopped making in the '90s, early 2000s as well. Should we?" do what Browning did where we take the name and then nothing else is the same or should we like stay faithful to the original gun they make the same mistake as Browning the new FN lie power <laughs> has zero parts compatibility with the Browning high power it doesn't even share magazines with the Browning high power it instead takes like a sig mag with the mag cut at a slightly different location so it won't even work with your sig mags but the dimensions on it are essentially identical to sig mags it doesn't take, you know, the Browning High Power is probably second only to the 1911 in terms of how broad and useful its aftermarket is. Because, of course, Glock has a broad aftermarket, but it's not terribly useful. Most of it's just like, ha, my trigger's red and my barrel's gold. Fuck with me. Yeah. And then, like, the High Power aftermarket, like, you can actually, like, make the gun more useful, different trigger pull weights or widths or, like, actual functional differences. So the High Power's got a great aftermarket. FN goes and scorns all of that. But the big problem is they're calling this gun the FN High Power still. So whenever this gun catches on, and eventually it does have some you know, small in comparison, but some small aftermarket, people will go looking. Oh, I need a new high power trigger. Okay, I got it ordered. And they're getting this trigger, of course, for their actual high power, and they order a trigger for the, the fake Y power. And it shows up, and it's like, huh, this won't fit. Why is that? Oh, it's because FN is incapable of making smart business decisions. Oh, my and God. So, like when it was first showed <laughs> off at SHOT Show or whatever, there was a lot of pictures that people were posting, and I, of course, joined them that like the fit and finish on these guns was terrible. Like the frames and slides, the lines on them didn't line up, Like the rails stuck out from underneath the slide. And like, it was obvious these guns were like put together in a hurry and there was no attention paid to it. And evidently somebody ended up asking an FN rep and the FN rep was like, oh, well, these are pre-production models. The production models will be put together much better because they're, they're selling these guns for like, like 1300 bucks or whatever. So more expensive than any other offering as far as hammer fired, uh, you know, steel frame guns go. So you, you can be looking at your Beretta 92s, you can look at your CZs, your Tang Foglios or the other Turkish guns. They're all much cheaper and much more competent and have a much bigger aftermarket. So again, FN's designed a whole new gun, called it the high power, 
shears, no parts with the high power. And they're trying to cut into a market where it's dominated by players who have better guns that cost less. So maybe you'd be thinking, okay, well, they're not trying to sell this to people who want a modern handgun. They're trying to sell this to collectors. But again, how stupid a collector would you have to be to go, I collect high powers and then look at a gun that's not a high power and go, well, I need that one too. Because like you might as well be buying CZs at that point because CZs have more high power DNA than this turd. Well, I, I think it can be explained by one very simple hypothesis, which is the the people who are doing coke and design the P90 are still around. <laughs> well, see, that's the worst thing is this wasn't effing Herstel that designed this. It was effing USA. So this, you know, the, <laughs> and they, are, they are distinct companies and evidently they like don't get along very well because like the, the reason that like actual FN scars that are made in Belgium can run suppressors like the Navy SEALs run scar H's with suppressors all the time, right? And it doesn't break the bolt carriers in half. And then in the US, FN, you know, FN USA reverse engineered the scar. I don't think they shared the technical data package. I think they reverse engineered it from their own parent company's gun. And then we're making new ones. And that's why all of the US made scar H's cannot be run suppressed. They will crack their bolt carriers at the cam pin and the gun stops working. This Holy has shit. happened multiple times, and as far as the warranty on these guns go, FN USA has decided that use even if you use the ammo they approve of, even if you use the gun in the approved break-in period and all this, if you put a suppressor on the gun, it voids the warranty. <laughs> now, wow! No, th there are very Jeez. few other gun companies that are that anal as far as we know our gun sucks, and so if you put a suppressor on it, we're going to make it your problem. But huh. like this has happened on so many guns, they just like straight up turn away your warranty, re your warranty requests if your bolt carrier is broken and you admit to have you having used it suppressed at all. And so, holy I, I, shit! So, so I my gripes, it. my gripes with F and USA are like limitless in that regard like they've managed to screw up a lot of stuff but man the the lie power just rubs me the wrong way because they're cashing in on the high powers name and they will only make people's lives worse because it's just not that great of a gun and it's <laughs> only going to it's going to cause confusion when you go out looking for parts because they named it the same thing for a totally different gun so you know what you should do if you're con contemplating buying a an fn usa lie power print a high power Yes. <laughs> or yes. So you, or it's just almost buy free. Do it at home. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll mark it for CZ against FN USA. Buy a CZ because not only is it a more competent gun, it's cheaper and has a better aftermarket. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Agreed. Because if Cajun you're looking trigger. for steel frame, yes. Hammer fired, yes. There you go. It's there, there are better guns that exist and have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Yes. I heard the Springfield is a bit shit, but... It, yeah, the, for, from what I understand, so I know I know Grantham had a little bit of problems with his. Mm. From what I understand, it was mostly limited to the very early production guns, and of course, it's a new production gun. And you, mo most gun companies, Palmetto State Armory has done this. Uh, of course, Springfield Armory's done this more than once. They sort of beta test their early production guns on the early adopters. So like they let them shoot it, find out what breaks, so they can fix it. Whereas like you know, there's some gun companies traditionally the bigger ones but like you know at least as far as the AKs are concerned Palmetto State Armory is notorious for doing this with their AKs like they had their customers find out what breaks and then they fixed it whereas <laughs> yeah. like a uh, Kalashnikov uh, USA here in the US is like been dragging their boots for years on selling their AKs cuz they're doing all that testing themselves so you know that's that's sort of two schools of thought there and Springfield Armory 
perhaps unfortunately, ended up using the public as their beta testing group. Although, you know, you could bring your gun to them with a warranty claim and they'd fix it and update it with the more modern parts, but it's your ammo that's being used to beta test these guns. So I guess it's quite a, sort of slick for the companies in that regard that it works for them, but yeah, perhaps a little bit shitty. Right. <laughs> Especially with guns that end up going off when they're not supposed to. <laughs> we'll let you figure out if it's drop safe, citizen. <laughs> Let's see, but uh, yeah. So Springfield Armory ran into some problems. I know Grantham had his video with them, but uh, uh, Mark Allen over at High Power Spring Solutions is like the high power nut. He's toured the remains of the factory over there. He's he's in touch with the old high power engineers. He's got one of the high power engineers working for him at his company, which is kind of cool. But uh, that's actually pretty fucking cool. He he you know he, he's done his review of these and. I, you know, half of his review you have to take with a grain of salt because he sells high power replacement parts. And so, of course, if there's any question about a part's quality, he's going to say buy mine, and, and you you just assume that to be the case. But his review of the of the Springfield Armory high power is, for the most part, the springs were okay. The extractors were garbage. Maybe there was some tolerance issues with the triggers. And if you want it to be more accurate, you can put a match grade barrel in it. But overall, he you know, he determined the core of the guns was great. Uh, there's also Gerson and Turkey has started remanufacturing uh, the high powers about the same time as, as Springfield Armory. And Mark so, Allen also got his hands on one of those. And he found that essentially across the board, it was the same thing where it's like the fit and finish is okay. It's not as good as FN had done it, but the gun works great. You may need to change out your extractors because you know, the, the high powers extractor is very, very slim and very thin. And it's certainly a part that FN put a lot of thought into designing. And if you just go out and copy it and you're like, eh, heat treating, who cares? It won't work very well. And I think that's the trouble that Springfield Armory and the Turkish clones ran into. Springfield Armory, evidently, has replaced their guns now with a better extractor. I really doubt Gerson will replace mm. their gun with a better extractor. Yeah, the, the Gerson guns are really common up here. Um, I My mind jumps to, I saw... a picture of a guy i think it was like gerson's glock knockoff um mm -hmm. the, um the the back plate had blown off and it sent the oh, striker unit right. in his eye oh, right yeah, you saw that. yeah uh, i'd seen that. that like, like the, you know, the, the round ended up having like a primer blowout or whatever and then it 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 pushed the prime and so i, I had done some research right because that, that got me wondering like okay if a glock had this happen its back plate's not really that much more reinforced like couldn't it come back evidently I am I am led to believe, of course, by, by the Glock forums, as reliable as they are, that's the reason that, at least until Gen 5, Glocks had an angled square. You know, the, the striker is like an angled shape and it's square. They designed yep. it that way because Glock anticipated, okay, but if you did have a primer puncture and then the round sort of wanted to get stuck in the barrel and all the pressure vented back, wouldn't that launch the striker at the shooter? And I think the, you know, it, it guess it, you know, it, I'm going to say it's true because it makes the most sense. The reason that Glock then went with the square striker window is because it is much thinner and it sort of has the angles on it. It's going to divert that gas pressure, not through the striker hole. Oh, that makes sense. Rather than turning your striker into a piston, it's something that's like tries to act as much as it can, not like a piston. Mm. So I think that makes sense. And you know, some people, some people even on the Glock forum was like, no, no, it's because of this, that, or the other thing. They didn't want the striker to stick to the round and cause ejection issues. But I don't, I don't think that would be a big ejection issue causer. So I'm at least willing to entertain that theory. And it makes, from a design standpoint, it does, it does make sense to me. Of course, then on the fifth gen Glocks, they went to a, a, a non-rectangular profile so maybe they decided it's not worth it or 
you may, maybe they figured like the one in a billion chance that you penetrate a, a primer with an actual Glock brand Glock, it doesn't it doesn't warrant the added expense of making a rectangular firing pinhole. Yeah. Anyways, guys, we are coming up in two and a half hours. Um, I feel like we will. It's getting pretty late in general. I feel like <laughs> we will true. wrap it just to to save BR from having to do a lot of work. <laughs> But anyways, uh, for both of you, for our listeners, I'm going to ask you each, uh, Ivan and then PSR, some dad advice. Go ahead. We are absolutely ripping this off from Mike. Oh, geez. I guess I have to go first. Um, yep. <laughs> um, uh, print guns is important. And also, uh, go outside because sometimes it's nice. Sometimes. <laughs> but mostly go outside. Oh, here's a good one. If you have the opportunity to shoot in an outdoor range, do it because it is so much better than shooting at an indoor range. Yes, it's I don't even go indoor anymore. It's unbelievably better. As somebody who like grew up shooting outside and then eventually went and shot inside a couple times, I was like, oh my goodness, this is this is so much less fun. And so yeah. then sh- shooting outside is a, a wonderful experience. So if you can, I recommend it. I, I agree. I, I don't understand people who just like, go and shoot at their tw- local 25 meter indoor range when they can go outside. I genuinely don't. I, I guess if it's raining or something, but still, I, I just find it miserable. Shoot in the rain. There, there, yeah, there, there's my next piece. It's like, yeah. if, if it is at all possible, do it sometimes just because it's fun. If for, yeah. the, for, the, for the trap league that I did in high school, if it was raining, they didn't really want to cancel it. And so you just shot in the rain and sometimes it's pouring rain and you shoot, which makes it hard to see birds sometimes, which is you as know, adds, adds, adds a degree of challenge but i mean shoot, shooting in the rain is like fun or in the snow snow is especially fun yeah i agree it builds character too i i completely also agree with that i started shooting outdoors and that was my only experience for a long time until i had to shoot inside and it sucked also for health reasons too i mean just yeah. being around that much uh you know lead and all that gases and shit if they're not ventilating it properly anyway that's i i would agree with that advice my advice for dads out there is to not feed your kids shitty sugary snacks and drinks that's what i'm gonna say yes Uh, be be mindful uh because you know my parents didn't either and i hated them for it but now i love them for it so they might hate you. Your kids might not be psyched that they don't get to eat the fruity pebbles, but trust me, it'll be it'll pay its worth in gold in their lifespan. I agree. Fuck John Harvey Kellogg. Agreed. <laughs> Fuck John Harvey Kellogg. But yes, uh, my my uh, piece of requisite dad advice, which no one asked for, is uh, the police officers' guns are free. You can take them home. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a three D printer. You can make them too, but you know you, you can just take them. That, that's allowed. The government doesn't want you to know. That's true. Anyways, thanks for coming on, guys. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Okay, bye.